This week on Invasion of the Podcast, uh, we talk about Jerry Leto trying to suck this time. We go from Batman to a Batman as we talk about the BBC and Netflix Dracula. And can Steve pass a pop culture blood test? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and to my left is Steve. Hello, everyone. Who I welcomed into my house. I invited him in. So that was important. It will, you guys will find out why later. Yes. I put away my cross, and I never live in sunlight. So we're going like, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're to dig into the Netflix uh, limited series. It's that, winter in Ohio, so you don't have to worry about yeah, sunlight. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, stay indoors for five hours, and you're good. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Netflix limited series Dracula that was a co-production with BBC. Spoilers ahead. Uh, yeah, and I, it, it's just funny because I realized when Steve had suggested watching this for the show, we went from Batman Hush to Dracula. So I posted on Facebook in between. I'm like, I see, I see what you're doing, Steve. You just want to keep talking about Batman. <laughs> so uh, I'd be good with the year of the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we're gonna go from from Batman to Batman. We have some other Batman related uh, stuff to talk about in a second. However, two things, Steve. One, I want to mention to you, happy uh, anniversary of one year from like one year ago today. You watched your first Neil Breen film, <laughs> and you died. You just squeezed yourself to death. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. No. Um, wow, has it been a year? Yeah, and have you figured out the movie yet? <laughs> no. I I actually need to sit down with his other films. I'm I'm waiting to find out, you know, because he did end the film with a cliffhanger. Yes, right? saying like that the, his uh, him and his uh, twin <laughs> would return. Yes, and we've not heard anything about that yet. But uh, but I do have some of his other films uh, that have been given to me with love from uh, from our friend Rich. Uh, so I have the other ones, and he gave me a copy of Twisted Pair. Nice. So, Yes, uh, I just wanted to celebrate your anniversary. And then um, I also want to mention that I got an email from Letterboxd, which is the app that I use to track my film watching. Sure. And I was waiting because I thought they were going to do like a year review because they usually put it out for every person in their account. Um, and I didn't get one for a bit. So that's why I went through and counted all my movies to see where I was at. Then they just sent me an email like two days later. So I'm like, thanks, Letterboxd. Uh, so I blame, I blame Steve for this. It said that my most... <laughs> My most watched director was George Lucas. <laughs> and I was like, no. Of like the 150 movies I logged over the year, the most watched director was George Lucas because the prequels and the original trilogy, which is only four movies total. So I guess I didn't I watch mean, other multiple directors. To be fair, you know, Ari Aster has only directed, I think, two movies. and That's true. Although, how did you not watch more Spielberg last year? Or, or, or Carpenter. Or, or you know, Menachem Golan. Yeah, that's true. But we, yeah, it's weird that um, Letterboxd didn't track that. Huh. I blame I blame Letterbox. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah damn it, I need Menachem Golan to be in there. But it said George Lucas. I'm like, what? And then it was like 
uh, like my my top three movies I rated like five stars was like one of them was like Hot Rod. <laughs> like I mean, it was like yeah, clearly I'm a, I'm a connoisseur of films and like well I, what was The Incredibles two was five stars because it's The Incredibles two yeah and like there's one other film that was like super that was actually serious so I'm like oh so one of my highest rated movies last year was Hot Rod okay. And my favorite director, or sorry, most watched director was uh, George Lucas. I keep thinking about opening up a letterbox, but I feel like it's just work. I don't know. It's not bad. It's not that bad at all. Like, honestly, it's fun because you can, you can like rate and review and you can whatever, like whatever, and you could add as much as you want. It's just for me, and I I cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, No, no, it's fine. I always end up forgetting when I get to the end of the year, like what I watch. So it's always nice to kind of go through and be like, oh, I did see that. Or when you're talking about like, you know, best of the year, you can kind of go through and see what you actually saw to consider. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I really want it for. Because I started a list last year, and I think by March I gave up. It's just me writing down movies that I watched so I could kind of keep an eye on what I had watched throughout the year. So, I mean, I guess maybe it's still early in the year. Maybe I could start off, start a, a letterboxed account. So. No, I mean, you could start one any time, right? I mean, but uh, let's see here. I, I pulled up the email here. It should, uh, I watched 154 movies, 38 films reviewed, which sometimes is just like one sentence being snarky. Uh, 277 hours totally watched. Uh, most watched actor was Samuel L. Jackson, so I'm fine with that. Most watched director was George Lucas. So yeah, here's my um, here's my three top five was the highest rated was Incredibles two, Hot Rod, and Knives Out. So uh, Knives Out was was great. So uh, like it's just funny. Did you put Midsummer in there because I, I feel like that would have been your high point for last year. I was didn't it put it as a five. Like, really. I, I and that's not me saying like oh the movie's that good that you should give it a five. I'm just me versus Hot Rod. No, <laughs> you, you were pretty high on that movie. As no, well. it's 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 an amazing film. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. It's just um, it didn't emotionally hit me and like it's. I think we've talked about this before. Like when I saw it in the theater originally and got to the end and I was like oh. And then it took me sitting in my car to be like, oh, like it just, it did the, what it all kind of tied together once I left the theater. So it didn't have that same resonance while watching it roll. Sure. So, and then watching the director's cut was still great, but I told you all the problems in the theater while watching that. So I, I need, I've seen the film twice. I need to watch it again. I, I absolutely love it. It's just like, like. I, I rate The Incredibles two five stars because it's just I'm a sucker for Pixar and I love The Incredibles like and I think that as a sequel that I've been waiting for forever it did fine. I'm not disputing no, any of no, your choices. No, I was I'm, just surprised just, that it I'm, didn't get a five star. What I'm saying all. is like Hot Rod is to in my mind I love that movie more and more each time I watch it. it's dumb fun but I love that movie and Knives Out I was just enjoying throughout the entire film and it was like something I hadn't seen in a while so there's these times where like if I don't get like the the emotional like I don't know. There's just times where I can appreciate a film, but it doesn't always get me like, how do I, how do I put this? Like where you forget you're watching a movie for a second and you're actually mm-hmm. in it. That seems to happen less and less with me just because the the amount of content we consume. And I guess that's the, it's a kind of a byproduct of like constantly always being aware that you're watching something. So what I'm just curious now, since we've talked about hot rod, what are some other comedies that are just, you know, you would put it five stars that you're just like, I know that, you know, if you're looking, these aren't movies that ended up either on Oscar lists. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Uh, Like, you know, I I would. So, for instance, like, if Wayne's World is on, I'll always watch Wayne's World. Oh, Wayne's World, that's a great example. Yeah. So, 
I realize that like it's not a Oscar nominated film or you know something that's probably put high up on even the top 100 of AFI's best comedies. But I'd give it five stars. Yeah, and like, what am I? It's not even a secret shame. A guilty pleasure of mine is the unrated cut of Saving Silverman because, okay. like, normally when you see unrated cuts like this, but it's like they this movie needed. It, you could tell it wanted to be an R-rated film, and they just kind of had to pull the punch to get like that whatever. But PG thirteen, and it's just I as much as it makes no sense for the idea that Steve Zahn, Jack Black, and Jason Biggs all went to high school together. Sure. None of that makes sense whatsoever. I love their chemistry amongst the three of them. And, and I love Steve Zahn as a comedic actor and just the bits you could tell that they just kind of like took scenes and just kind of ran with them because the, their director, I think his name's uh, Dennis Dugan directs a lot of Adam Sandler stuff. So I'm, I'm betting that a lot of him is just like, sure, whatever. And then like, we'll catch it and edit it together. You got Arlie Emery in that too. Like it's just, and Amanda Peet's really funny in that film. Like there, so there's set pieces in there that make no logical sense, but I love everybody in it, and they make me laugh. And I love Saving Silverman. It's so dumb. Like the whole bit of them being a Neil Diamond cover band uh, called Diamonds in the Rough, and, right. you, and 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 knowing that Steve Zahn had to learn how to play an instrument for um, the um, all that thing you do. So he actually knows how to play a guitar. And Jack Black, obviously, is Jack Black. Right. So Jason Biggs has no like musical knowledge. So they made him look like he's playing a keyboard. <laughs> and so the diamonds of the rough thing wasn't in the original script. And then the whole like falling in love with Neil diamond thing and having him actually be in the movie is kind of something that started like organically happening with the film. And it just makes no sense. And I love it. Like I just, I love saving Silverman. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. just curious. Like, interesting, but stupid, you know, uh, <laughs> and like dumb and dumber. I can, I can, I love that movie. Kingpin. I adore, like I love Kingpin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think of the Farrelly Brothers movies. I think Kingpin is probably the one I go to the most. Um, I think that it it gets funnier every time I watch <laughs> and Bill it. Bill Murray is amazing in that. Bill like, Murray is amazing in that movie. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of you know. I mean, there's obviously classics like Caddyshack. Like I I can't not watch Caddyshack. Yeah, uh, the Jerk. I can't not watch. Jerk wa- is amazing. <laughs> So these are I, all movies that I rate five stars, and I'm sure people would like lose their minds yeah, over. Yeah, I just like the jerk. I feel like Steve Martin had he was channeling like I should say, I, it almost feels like an early Jim Carrey thing where it's like they, he just just ran rough shot over that movie, and everything he did was great. Oh yeah, you know some of the commentary maybe is not aged very well, but it was always done from a point of being absurd. Right, like and I and the cat juggling bit always cracks me up. Well, one that I only rediscovered in the last few years was UHF. You know, yeah, that, I, that's another one that too. That movie's amazing. So, <laughs> again, uh, not perfect, but I love it. Yeah, you know, and I think <laughs> I think it's like with comedies, you could like you can have like well crafted, amazing comedies. Like I love The Big Lebowski, but it, it's a comedy, but it's a little bit more than that. Like mm-hmm. it has a lot more thought going on, but that movie just it just cracks me up, you know. But so you can have like finely crafted comedy like that and then you could just go like UHF where it's like well what's the dumbest thing we could show right now and we're going to do that <laughs> and so yes I, and that's what Hot Rod I just I love Hot Rod so yeah anyway the, and so why why would I rate all these five stars in the midsummer not <laughs> like I, I like hereditary more so I'll say that so okay. maybe if I'm comparing the two but midsummer's amazing you know um but like I didn't even get around to making like my top three of the year. I don't know what your top three for 2019 would be, just in general. Oh, I don't. I mean, it would it would be criminal for me to say not. 
Endgame gave me movie moments that I've never gotten in a movie before. So yeah, I, it, it's an easy thing to say Endgame, but like, well, no, if it like, but then again, Far From Home was was great as well. Like, I realize I'm just going to the Marvel well, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, those two obviously would probably be up there. Um, I'm trying to think of other movies I saw last year that had that big of an impact. Um, at least years movies that came out that year, I should say. Um, mm. Yeah, like 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 I said, Knives Out. I think because I know you haven't seen. I still that, haven't seen uh, it, yet. but it's like that was one that definitely felt like it was worth everything. From like I just loved it, and then um, you know, there, it's weird because the year before I picked like all like horror and like folk horror movies, and then suddenly I'm like, yeah, Knives Out. It's like this murder mystery, but it's real twisty, and I love it. And then it's like one of the other movies I absolutely just like loved uh, last year was a film called The Mustang, which is an independent film about this guy who is in uh, prison for a lot of bad things. And you get the idea he's very broken and doesn't want to connect with anybody. And then he ends up stumbling into like this um, like wild Mustang, like breaking program. Cause then the, the, the prisons will sell them to like, uh, like different like police departments. Okay. And so he becomes this thing of where he's being taught how to break this horse, but it's like, you know, it's all a metaphor, but it's just, it's so good. Like right. it's so good. And I'm surprised that it didn't get any like any talk at all. Like not that it was the biggest release, but it was amazing. And I don't know why they didn't get any talk at the end of the year. I'm but. kind of pissed at myself because right now all I can think about is Endgame. Like for whatever <laughs> reason, I can't seem to like focus in on any other movies that I saw last year. Um, well, it was that big, and plus, you know, it it, it saved the world. So, it did. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow, we, I may have to come back to this question. And the, well, then also too, I'll I'll just say this. Uh, I saw Uncut Gems the other night. That's the uh, Adam Sandler film that, like, <laughs> Adam Sandler film. It's not actually, he's the star in it, but it's the... What, it's the, not like Grown Ups 3. It's, it's uh, what, the Sadafi brothers? I'm probably saying their name wrong, mm-hmm. and, I'm pro- and I should look it up. But, um, like, it is, it, it like, I know I saw it, like, in the new year, but it came out, like, you know, in Christmas. It's like, had I seen it? In 2019, it'd be up there. The movie's awesome. That like, good, it, it's really. good. It's really good. And he's really good in it. Like, That's, I've, I've it, heard that. And it's like, but it's like all those things you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then you watch the movie, you're like, holy shit, he's good in it. But it's like, he's not playing like that far off from what he's like, what you know him to do. Yeah. But it's like, but he's playing a much, like, as much as he's like this, this character, this person that should probably never exist, he feels very real at the same time. And, it's like you sympathize with them, but you're also like, you're an idiot. Like the, the decisions that he makes, but you're also kind of like, yeah, maybe he can do it. Maybe he could pull this off. It's, it's really good. Yeah. I like, mean, he's actually done some performances when he's, you know, making movies that aren't part of his like happy Madison. Yeah. Like uh, happy. Uh, take a vacation and get, like get paid to do it. And have all your friends. <laughs> well, come I think over. that's his production company is happy. Madison. I know. So but it's just, just like happy to be in Africa with Drew Barrymore shooting right. a family vacation <laughs> film. And Terry Crews is there too. You Although know? to be fair, I love the wedding singer an awful lot. That might be the last like Adam Sandler movie that came out that I just genuinely loved of his like stupid comedies, but he's great in punch drunk love. I've, you know, I've not seen that. I need to, like okay. I, it's funny because like I like I Paul Anderson's like great and there's a lot of his stuff I've not seen. Uh, I think the last Sandler film that I purposely saw in the theater was The Water Boy, okay. uh, and that's you know not the same thing as The Wedding Singer. Like I saw The Wedding Singer later, I like that movie a lot. But The Water Boy was like the last time I'm like, oh, actually I take that back. I I saw um oh what was that movie Bulletproof with him and Damon Wayans. I'm pretty sure that's pre Water Boy. Okay, yeah, because yeah. that one was not great. <laughs> but who knows? But 
anyway, I I never I usually didn't go actively seeking out Sandler after a certain point. I I actually liked him quite a bit back in the Saturday Night Live days. Oh, I did too. Um, I don't know. Big Daddy might have been the last movie of his that I was like, yeah, it was okay. And I just sort of stopped. When we talk about like five-star comedies, like in our minds, like Billy Madison makes me howl still. And I love Happy Gilmore. Uh, Billy Madison just, that's that movie, it just goes like from place to place, but it just it tickles me. And I love that movie so much. Like I... You know, I don't quote it daily, but I think about it a lot about stuff like, you know, like, oh, you're all in trouble now. <laughs> you have the it starts annihilating kids, you know, like, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's also like just little moments in the movie that I really like. Uh, for instance, the the clown on stilts who falls over. <laughs> and, then, and then you see the see blood. blood. And then later on, when there's the, the big musical number, and he was like, you know, something about you thought I was dead. It's like, yeah, you thought, yeah, because you were hemorrhaging. <laughs> it's like, and I think at that time, that was like the first time I was really um, brought, like, um, not absurdist, but like, uh, what do you want to, like, just, it was just like, just utterly ridiculous. And like, my mind couldn't handle, like, they brought this back. And then you're having a song that ends about eating gum. Like, right. what? Like, yeah. So. But yeah, Uncut Gems is not that. Uh, but it's like, it's a very stressful film the entire time because he's actively making decisions that if they go the wrong way, he's done as a prof- like as a person professionally, his marriage, but then he doubles down. And it's like, he makes like an even bigger decision. You're like, well, if that fails, then everything else is like, you know, it's just, it keeps going and going and going. And it's just, it's tiring, but in like the best way. It's a good film. It's okay. a really good film. Yeah, I, I'll have to check it out. There, like, I, before we started this uh, podcast, we of course had an hour discussion because um, we didn't want to capture any of those conversations. Uh, but no, no, uh, I was talking about yeah. like the amount of movies that like my wife has mentioned that I'm like, yes, I would like to see that. Yes, I'd like to see that. And we still haven't gone. Uh, 1917. I yeah, heard is amazing. Um, I still want to see Knives Out. I want to see the Tom Hanks. Um, uh, Beautiful Mr. Rogers movie, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's another one that I'm leaving out because, uh, um, oh man, I'm I'm blanking. But um, and it's not because it's been you know lauded critically and also um, completely shit on critically. But I am at a point now where I'm like I feel like I need to just for the cultural point of view see joker i feel like i'm the only person who hasn't seen it so i, I almost bought it specifically just to give you the digital code just to be like here but then i realized i'd own a copy of joker <laughs> well i guess they're they're supposedly going to be putting it back in theaters for one for week the, yeah, yeah for the oscar bite so i'm like do i spend the money to see it on the big screen or not you know oh the irishman's another one that i oh, haven't yeah. seen yeah i mean that's that's going to be available though i hope yeah, that, yeah. i mean it's it's available on you know it's netflix, netflix yeah so. Um, so yeah. And then also I didn't know that the two popes was a Netflix production. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So it's actually going to be available too. So that's cool. And supposedly uncut gems is going to be available on Netflix, but I think it's international. So I don't think it's going to be us released in like, you know, for now, but maybe it'll, maybe they'll do it anyway because that movie needs to be seen. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, I don't know. That wasn't our weekend, but I, I you know, we talked about things and, and Steve brought some good points about how I love comedies more than, uh, like, like folk horror, I guess. I don't know. Well, no, I no. think also just sometimes it's, it's, you know, easier to sit down and watch a comedy and forget about your problems than with any other genre. And I think comedies, like you can forgive them a little bit more because it's like they're, they're working for different things. Like I'm not saying like, 
a film shouldn't set out to not be a competent put together production. Right. Like no doubt. But like when you watch a comedy, you expect you want certain, like you want a certain reaction. Uh, when you watch a horror film, you want a certain reaction and, but you can still make a complete film. I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying hot rod. It, it, I think it's a complete movie and there's smart decisions that happen in that film. Uh, Cause I watched the commentary because that's how I am. Um, the beginning part of the film, the scores all synth, which was very reminiscent of the eighties, but then like the main theme over the course of the film transitions from synth to like orchestral. Because they want to actually show the journey of Adam Sandberg's character going from being like a boy, like uh, like a man child, to growing up a little bit. Okay, this is all the while he's supposed to jump buses to get enough money to replace his step uh, stepfather's heart so he could beat him in a fist fight. Like the movie's dumb, but like they give you like these like subtle nods of like we're progressing, and it's like there's some thought put in there, and I can appreciate that. Um, so yeah, like I'm just saying that I expect like there's things I, I hope to get out of films. Uh, so I can appreciate it. I don't know where I'm going with that other than Hot Rod, five stars. That's where I'm going with that. But I was going to tell people, if you're on Letterboxd, uh, you could follow me. And I'll follow you back because I want to see what everybody else is watching. My Letterboxd profile name is Surprising Nobody because this is what I use for everything. It's Sleepwalker, all one word, 232, no spaces. Because it, it because my profile picture on there is Sleepwalker, the comic book character, you know, not not. Why do you Stephen keep denying King? that you love the Stephen King film? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say <laughs> it is not a profile picture of a woman stabbing a cat, stabbing a sheriff with a corn cob. <laughs> I, 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 t- I think I told you the story. I don't know if I told it on on the show. Like I was, I was, we were at Carol and John's, the comic shop, and I was talking to Joe, and I mentioned something about like Sleepwalker, the comic book character. He's like, "Oh, is that why your your name for everything is Sleepwalker?" I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "I thought it was because of the movie." I'm like, "I was like, why would you? Why would you? Th-? It's like I'm gonna be like, I've known you for like, I don't know, fifteen years. Why would you think? Why would you think I would do that?" But he's like, "I don't know. I thought that's why you liked." <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in forever, but I don't remember being highly. Fond oh, it of wasn't it. good at the time, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's not aged well. But uh, yeah, anyway, all right. Was there any weekend stuff that that you, you know, were you know we're past our weekend talk? I don't no, know we okay. talked about going to the movies and then didn't. So that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> and I and I saw Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, so that yeah, was my weekend. There you so. go. Um, uh, all right, so yeah, let's just get to the news. <laughs> everyone so news I mean, first thing we don't we, we do talk about trailers on here but i just thought it was very appropriate that the first look at um the jared leto film for morbius had come out um and so i told steve i was like we should probably talk about it because morbius is the living vampire and because we're talking about dracula why not i feel like it was very appropriate um, don't don't lie it's because it's spider-man related that too, but we still want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. But this is another one of those Sony films that's produced like tangentially to everything because we had Venom. I liked how the trailer was like from the producers of, you know, like they said, was Spider Man and Homecoming. Like, Homecoming. And then Far Far From Home. And then Venom. I'm like, you're not winning me over there. Why wouldn't you just put, uh, you know, um, Into the Spider Verse instead of <laughs> Right? <laughs> Yeah, because I, I guess people love Venom, and that's one that I haven't seen, so I shouldn't shit on it. So, it, like I said, Venom's fun. It's okay. It just it could have been better. But so from looking at for, we we talked about like you know how like how does Joker exist without without Batman? Yeah, um, and it's like and it's like oh well, how does Venom exist without Spider Man? Morbius could probably exist without Spider Man. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but from the early looks, it looks like it's going to be like a competently made film. And I know it's not like high praise, but it's like, it doesn't look like it's going to be a shit show. I think they got the character so yeah. far. Him, you know, because a lot of Spider-Man's villains tend to be born of science mm-hmm. um, where, uh, you know, like, like they all, and they all, a lot of them also kind of have like animal, like, tendencies in the sense of like identity well i mean you know the spider's natural enemy is the rhino <laughs> yes the spider's natural <laughs> enemy is the dr octopus <laughs> <laughs> the big wheel that's the, the natural, vulture the vulture um, anything that basically can step on it i guess yeah yeah <laughs> the spider's natural enemy the swatter i don't know who that would be um what what was the paste pot paste pot pete that is the natural yeah. enemy of the spider uh yeah so spiders hate sand they do, they do, yeah like i didn't know that all spiders were anakin skywalker i didn't know that uh, <laughs> there you go there you go but uh so but they all tend to have a lot of like whatever but so we the trailer shows you know you got dr michael you know morbius which is like i love i love how marvel names are alliterative and yeah. they also are like hinting towards always something else generally where it's like oh morbius morbid vampire like i I love it um but you know you get the idea that he's struggling and wants to do well and then he's he's willing to like take the extreme to try to find a cure and things don't go that way i it's a decent enough hook for a film especially if you make it more of a horror movie i think that needs what it needs to be i think it needs to be you know him fighting his his tendencies, which is interesting too. Um, the uh, early '90s, I guess, is mid '90s Spider-Man cartoon. Like Morbius was actually a pretty decent sized part within that series. I yeah. feel like there's an entire season that's he's like interweaved in and out of. Because so. they actually introduced him as a regular person, and then when they introduced him as uh, you know uh, Morbius, like you could tell that Parker was struggling because he's not that far off from Peter Parker in the sense of like you know, your life has now changed. You get to make a decision of how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. So he's not necessarily like a dark reflection. It's just a matter of, he's also a man of science and his, his, you know, there is an interesting, uh, I don't want to say uh, juxtaposition here, but you know, they're clearly with Morbius, they're leaning towards horror. The new mutants film that is finally supposedly coming out in April is also leaning towards horror. Mm-hmm. And Derek Stevenson, who directed Doctor Strange, recently just announced that he's leaving Doctor Strange 2, which was supposedly being billed as, you know, Marvel's horror movie. Um, I'm kind of curious to know if they just feel like it's too much at this point. Like, I, I granted, you know, yes, uh, The New Mutants was done at Fox. Like and, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. two years ago. Um, this is obviously being done by Sony. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering like what the decision making process was behind that. And, um, if that did affect where they're going with Dr. Strange, I'm not sure. I mean, but, but so credit to Disney to release new mutants, like pretty much like there was a lot of trouble, like with like post-production, supposedly Fox wanted reshoots. The rumor is, is that a lot of what's in this film now is what was originally is going to be shown. But credit to them where it's like, we have a complete film. It's probably not the dumpster fire that Dark Phoenix was. Let's just get it out there. Like, yeah, I mean, they put Dark Phoenix out before this. So. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the fact that this could have been shelved and maybe released, like, you know, as, like, a digital exclusive later, like, on Hulu or whatever, like, that would have been... What are they going to do if it comes out and, like, just hits? Yeah. I. Well, I mean, I think... I think Disney slash Marvel smart enough. I think Kevin Feige is smart enough to know that 
what makes a lot of these films work is that if they if they find a genre like I mean the Russos proved it like they they wanted to make the Winter Soldier like a seventies political thriller it has that vibe they wanted um you know they wanted Ant Man to be more of a heist film it has that vibe like there's you get like those things and so I, you know I can't think of like what's the like the most horror of all those films I mean maybe the first Doctor Strange is more like cosmic like but it's more like an acid trip than it's horror. Yeah, you know? I mean that director is known for horror, though. Yeah, the, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and a couple other horror films. I just, uh, it just it popped into my head as we were talking about it because I was like, well, this has got a horror bent to it, as does the New Mutants, um, and it's interesting that it kind of coincides with Marvel having a movie that they're saying is going to be a horror movie, and the director backing out of it. So yeah, kind of curious. We'll, yeah, we'll see. But uh, so the trailer, you know. Interesting. Oh, Morbius is a movie of vampire. That should not surprise anybody if you have a, a vague passing of the and character. And let's just say, great look. Like, yeah. I hope we get to see a lot of that. Cause yeah, because like, it looks like a comic accurate. Like, And not that that's always the biggest deal, but come on, it looks good. But it's also an interesting look for a vampire. It's yeah. not even just that it's comics a- accurate. At least it it's visually different than any other vampire you've ever seen. Yeah. So... Here's hoping, and I like Jared Leto. I know I made the joke at the beginning about he try, trying to suck this time because he's playing a vampire. I just feel like he's always been recently been kind of like like wrong place, wrong time in casting where they cast him for his talent and ability because he's good, but then somewhere along the line, the project itself kind of gets like maligned, meaning his Joker and Suicide Squad. As much as every time he's on screen, I'm like, take a bath. Like it would just he looked like he stank, you know. But his take on it wasn't bad. It was just it maybe not fit what was going on. Okay, and he was great in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's just that I think that they got him and then they didn't use him as much. And it just maybe they were like hoping to save it for a sequel. That's not going to happen. But he was fine in that. I like Jared Leto as an actor. I really do. I just feel like he's been in some projects that have kind of sunk, and I don't think it's necessarily his 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 ability or input that made it sink. No, no. Although he did, you know, uh, kill uh, my so-called life. You know, it was completely his fault. The show was canceled, and and he also killed John Lennon in that one uh, movie that he played Mark David Chapman. That's true. So, and he got beat up in Fight Club. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So, did he actually cause most my so-called life to get canceled? No, okay. no. I just I was making the joke. Oh, that... Okay. <laughs> but yeah, he gets the shit beat up in Fight Club. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I like him, and also like. Uh, Side note, I think 30 Seconds from Mars is a pretty good band. Like, so whatever. Anyway, so um, here's hoping Morbius. Here's hoping this is the the cure for what ails Sony with just their Spider-Man universe-centric projects. Like, okay. meaning, meaning, because like Venom's kind of weird. Like, it's okay, but it's not great. And Sony's still going to truck ahead and do what they're going to do. Like, because I know they worked out the deal with Marvel for Spider-Man. However, like when, when I texted Steve, I was like, we talk about this on the show, mainly because it's a vampire movie and we're going to be talking about vampires. But you see something in the trailer that you're just like, really? We're going there? I'm interested. And I that shouldn't be a reason for me to be like, oh, my, you have my attention. But God damn it, Michael Keaton as the vulture show. I mean, it has to be. Yeah. It has to be him. You know what it made me think of initially was? Do you remember when the first Iron Man came out <laughs> you, and the Incredible Hulk? Oh God, I w- I want that to be him showing up in like four movies, recruiting people. <laughs> that would be amazing. Where you have Michael Keaton always no pun sorry pun intended waiting in the wings to pull together the Sinister Six. That would be badass. 
And like, to say that there were two Batmans in this <laughs> yeah. trailer would be accurate. So. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> yes, you have a Batman and a Batman. Uh, but no, and he was like, what's up, Doc? Which only Michael Keaton could deliver that line and make it sound awesome and corny at the same time. Sure. But if it's Tombs recruiting... That's amazing. Like, but he looked like he was in a jumpsuit. So I'm like, is he still in under prison? Yeah. yeah. But it's like, even, even like, I hope that's not like the last shot of the film. Cause that'd be kind of, but it's like, I, I want him to kind of be like that, like the, like the devil on the shoulder of like, Hey, here's what's going on. Take what's yours, you know, type of thing. And I can honestly say that I, I, I was disappointed when I found out that he wasn't going to be in far from home. But Far From Home is such a wonderful movie that there's nowhere really to stick him, unfortunately, anyway. Yeah, so. but at least they at least they didn't commit the cardinal sin of most Marvel films and kill him. Like, yeah. I want Michael Keaton skulking around as the vulture. Like, I need this more than anything in terms of, like, like and Mysterio might still be alive, too. I don't think they're going to bring him into this movie. And I but. mentioned this, I think, when we talked about the movie when it came out. One of my favorite scenes in, in uh, Homecoming is just the conversation that he has with Peter while, while his in the car. Yeah, his it's daughter's the, out in the car. It's so great. And, and it's just I need yes so I'm excited that the like it just makes me wonder it's like what Sony has like like obviously they want some autonomy but it, it feels like because this movie was being like it was in probably post-production or close to it whenever Sony and Disney made up yeah you know so and I'm sure because the vulture is more of a Spider-Man villain they could just do what they're going to do with him no matter what it's still I I just hope the powers that be realized like this is a way to still keep your world connected and get people interested. Just do good work. Like just bring this across the finish line and make it a worthy film and make me give a shit about Morbius as like, not even an anti-hero, but like what he, like he doesn't need to be heroic, but it's like, I it just, I don't know. Like get, make the make, stick a better landing than they did with Venom. And then you have my attention, Sony, because I feel like always left to your own, you kind of fall on your keys. Well, sorry, let me rephrase. When Sam Raimi gets to make two movies that he wants to make the way he wants to make them, they're yes. great. When you start meddling, you you know, you start Cleveland Brownsing it up. You get a little too much mixed in, and then you I know think that's a little harsh. That's true. Sony's had more winners than uh, Cleveland. Has, <laughs> but, uh, it just feels like the Browns are always like, "We got an idea, yeah, but what if we just mess with it?" <laughs> like so, um, I mean, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. So, all right. Uh, next story, uh, Steve, you sent me a link about uh, the number one comics from uh, the past 10 years. So, yeah, it's the top 100 comics selling selling titles over, or, well, not titles, sorry, the, the top 100 selling comics over the last decade. Um, although it's not that far off to say number ones, because one of the things that comic fans, I think, lament quite a bit of the time is simply that books will often restart and not that far into the runs anymore, like 12 issues in, they're like, well, we're going to come out with a new number one. Yeah. The reason why is pretty easy to tell when you look at what the top 100 books that sold over the last 10 years were. Most of them are number ones. Um, just looking at the the top 10, uh, the number one comic that sold the most comic copies over from the period of 2011 to uh, 2019, or 2010 to 2019, was Star Wars number one, which came out in 2015. Hmm. Um, now, this is a big one because it's an anniversary. The second issue was, uh, or the 
second highest selling was Detective Comics number 1000. So credit to Detective Comics that they actually kept the numbering, though. Right. That's like the one of the few that actually kept Them it going. Them and Action Comics, because Action Comics, I think, shows up later in the list as well. But after that, everything is like, you know, Amazing Spider-Man number one, Secret Wars number one, uh, Action Comics 1000 number five, uh, Bravest Warriors, uh Tales Holo John. I don't know what this is, but it's a Boom Studios book, which I thought was interesting. But that's a number one. So is that why that you have the Science Slasher number one? Are you, like where is that at? <laughs> where is that on this list of the top one hundred? Like it has to be like probably like fifty three or fifty four, right? Um, I think it's um in the uh, probably fifty to well, yeah, probably fifty thousand. Oh uh, no, come on. Of uh, yeah, so. Uh, not that we sold 50,000 copies, mind you. I'm just saying that... Uh... He's just downplaying it. It's like, you know, it's it's there. Like That's why the next issue of Science Slasher is going to be called The Science Slasher Number 2, Volume 1. That's right. what it's going to be called. Because <laughs> he knows there's power in re- like calling something number one. Well, I just think it's interesting you know, how many of these books are just number ones. And that's the reason why comic book companies just keep restarting their titles over and over again. Which is interesting because number one issues traditionally aren't... The ones where a big thing happens. It's more like just like putting pieces in, in place and like letting reminding you of like what the status quo is and what you know. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's that old you know feeling of like, oh, I've got an action comics number one. Great. You know, you're rich. But <laughs> these days, you know, number one for whatever reason still gets people in the door, but it's very rare anymore that you. See, you know, it issue four hundred and five of you know whatever cracking the top one hundred. Yeah, what, what was um what was the Walking Dead's last issue number? It was. Uh, I feel like it was one hundred and two because I feel like one hundred's yeah. in there somewhere. And, and I feel was, like that series lasted forever, and it yeah, know, and, it, and, and it did. I mean, you know, one hundred issues is nothing to you know be upset Sneeze about. At, yeah, you know. um, but I'm only so, ninety nine away. Yeah, well, you know, which <laughs> by the way. I mean, you need to get to 300 because I need to know about uh, the you know, Monday morning, the mor- Monday morning murderer <laughs> yeah. and detective Jeff Saturday looking in the mirror and realizing that he homicide detective Jeff Saturday <laughs> realizes that he might be the killer. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so I, I, I like when you, when you said this to me about the notion of number ones, that makes sense to me because first they're, Comics are like there's so much going on right now, and that's a good thing. Like in terms of like storytelling and creative content, we're we're like at this point where like there's so much coming out, and so it, there's a lot that you know exposes people to everything, right? That's amazing. Um, like I remember whatever, like I think the very first episode of the show, um, episode zero, whenever you can't hear Joe because he's in the background because I couldn't mix audio worth shit that episode. I made the comment about how I was in Carol John's comics here in Cleveland, and someone walked in. And because um, Daredevil had just premiered, they they went to the guys and were like, I want to know about Daredevil. And they're like, okay, we'll do this, this, and this. And they handed them some trade paperbacks and all this. It's like someone got excited because a character like, was in a series and they wanted to learn more about him. Right. Having a number one is is that you know access point. And it does. If you're a new reader, it's easier to go, oh, I'm going to jump in on number one as opposed to issue 53. Because then you also, as, as a reader... You don't you don't know if it's mid arc. You don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and also just because I, I know Marvel uh, fought forever 
at, with continuity in terms of trying to keep it all together. And DC every so often would be like, um, crisis on infinite planet Earths that all start with the letter A or whatever. Like they would constantly yeah. be like, oh, this is infinite crisis with uh, subway restaurants. Or I don't know what they would do. They'd always reset everything all the time because they knew their continuity was shit, you know? But that's not the point. Like you can do these big, broad, like board sweeping moves. And then still get to the heart of things. And I know Marvel was really trying to hold it together and they just kind of, they, they still, they still hold it together a little bit, but they kind of gave up and it's, it's good to start over sometimes. And I also think that from a brand identity, if you had a creative team, maybe it's best to break it off and start over again. Yeah. I mean, I will say the reason that Star Wars number one sold the most amount of copies is, is it's the very first issue of them coming back to Marvel after, 25 years Horse, of being right? at Dark Horse, yeah. And then also the fact that Star Wars at that point was fever pitch, you know, the yeah, excitement yeah. for it. This is, you know, 12 months before Force Awakens comes out and makes, you know, $2 billion. And considering that, you know, Disney and, you know, they, like, it just made sense, like, yeah. to like to bring it back, right? So, but, like, I'll also say that I bought, like, um, oh, what was it? They're, like, recently they were doing, like, offshoots of, like, standalone issues of series, like, had they continued, like I have like issue like I don't know fifty four of Darkhawk or whatever it was they put out they put out an additional issue yeah like after the run in the nineties and it's like it just picked up like now like as if like nothing changed and it was like I'm like I have no idea what's going on but it's more <laughs> Darkhawk I'm happy about it so you know I guess it cuts both ways but I can understand why number ones especially with event books like Civil War Secret Wars or whatever I can see why those would be big it's it's interesting though uh, because. The trade paperback market at, at some, I was going to say at some point switched over and I think is a big piece of that. But like, you know, trades these days aren't in six individual issues. There are six individual issues that were one story arc. Yeah. So, um, you know, even tr trades go by numbering now. You know, if you yeah, look on the true. spine, yeah. it'll say like, you know, it might be issues one through six of a collected series, but it might be you know, volume four of something. So yeah, that's true. That's fair. So yeah. So I, I think it was valuable to, to bring that story up and people can see that. Well, I know. just, I think it's interesting just to look at it and say, you know, why are there so many number ones? Well, here's why. Because, yeah. That makes sense. You know, they sell. <laughs> they, they do. So, all right. Um, yeah. So again, uh, Steve has a science slasher number one available on his Etsy store. So if you guys want to get in on uh, the ground floor of being part of the next decade of the most number one issue sold. Yes. Only 999,900 copies guys, to sell. You guys could make it happen. <laughs> it's, Etsy. Art of the Slash. Just go buy books. It's great. Uh, so next story, um, and I feel like this could go on forever, but I just, just want to mention it. Uh, and it will. It will. Uh, so Colin Trevorrow's script for episode Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, it supposedly has been leaked and kind of verified, but I, I think it, the, I think there's been, I think it's, it's given that it, this is the legitimate script, um, until there's been evidence proven. Like if he comes out and says, that's not mine, I think that would kind of be it. But, um, so I mentioned this to Steve, we talked about it for a bit. Uh, so it was his vision for star Wars. Um, my point is that everyone's like, Oh, this is the film we should have got. It's like, just screw you guys. You guys were just happy. He was off the film two years ago. And like mm -hmm. when JJ came back, it's like, I read like the cliffs notes. I didn't read the script, but I do think the name is better. <laughs> I think his duel of the fates. Yeah. I think that's a way better title for the film. Cause I feel like it also ties back to everything. Yeah. And it's thematically a, it fits really well with what he was going for. 
It's from episode one. That's yeah. the main theme from episode one is Duel of the Fates. Yeah, and I think that's wonderful. So uh, my point with all this is that, yeah, there. I think he actually, I think he was actually given the challenge of what you do after The Last Jedi. Like, how do you complete the story? Which I feel like Abrams didn't complete that story. He just, like, like patched over a lot and was like, are we good? Like, so I know you kind of read some of the Cliff's Notes, too. Of the, yeah, yeah, I... I kind of dove into it a little bit more. Um, the gentleman who brought the script to light, at least online, was uh, a director by the name of uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. Um, and he's got a daily YouTube show. Um, I, I was unaware of, but I sought this out to see it, uh, to find out what the details were. And he kind of goes through sort of step by step. He doesn't give you the entire script, but he tells you what's hap- what happens throughout the script. Gives you pieces of, you know script and and like he doesn't give you everything we'll put it that way um but what i thought was interesting is that this is a draft that was literally i think finished according to the date like days before carrie fisher passed so it's one thing to be able to say like well this is the movie we should have gotten sure but at the same time it was a movie that was no longer possible to be, to make simply because well, Carrie in, Fisher in was form, a, yeah, that, and that's form. correct, yeah. Um, and it's a it's a early draft. I it does sound like from everything that he gives out during that discussion, um, even the crawl sounded great. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, again, you're right. I, I thought it was kind of shitty that everybody was suddenly like, "Screw Rise of Skywalker." It's, you know, this is the movie we deserved. And it's like, it's been a month, you know? But, but also whenever Tevaro was like, when he stepped away or when Disney said, you oh, can't yeah. make this, everyone's like, oh, JJ's coming back. Perfect. He'll, he'll fix everything and he'll give us all puppies and pats on the back or whatever. And it's like, and whenever Tevaro stepped I didn't away, get a puppy. I didn't get a puppy either. Um, you know, <laughs> it would be Luke Paul Walker would be the name of the puppy. But, uh, so, uh. It would be amazing, uh, but he, he'd be the best boy. Uh, but no, um, like all the rumors about the career differences, and like I know we talked about briefly uh, a couple episodes ago that he wanted to shoot some episodes, like episodes, sorry, some scenes in space. That sounded like somebody that was like high on their own supply and like, get him out of here. We don't need that. But it's like when you see like the work that was put into the script, again, I didn't read the script, so I don't know like like beat for beat like the dialogue. The bullet points sound interesting, and but then again, just because you have that as a script doesn't mean that would translate well, and you also don't know what the finished product would be. You, like, so that's tough. Well, it's interesting that uh, I think the one thing that I saw causing a lot of commotion online was uh, um, people were upset that uh, Ray was still technically no one, but it was revealed that Kylo Ren had killed her parents, and people were upset about that. I'm like. How is that worse than her being Palpatine's daughter? I think that's. I think that's. I, <laughs> I mean, it's a little you know, Joker killing Batman's parents. In that's the first fair, Batman. but but I don't think it's like oh, you know, throw my hands in the air and walk away. I still think it. I still think it fits thematically with seven and eight of, you know, heroes can come from anybody anywhere. And the, the whole theme of her being no one is a big part of that script. And it's like that would have been like I think that would have been way better. You know, yeah. like uh, yeah, um, so. I, I don't know. It's just I feel like there was more thought put into this of how how do you take the baton and you know cross the finish line. And so would I have rather probably seen his attempt? I think I would have. 
because it would have been great to actually see a trilogy where you had three different filmmakers with control over their story of like, how do you, how do you do this? Especially now knowing that there wasn't an overall plan. Uh, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, release the Trevorrow cut. I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> like, I'm not going to say that shit because dude, every other day now I see because of my algorithm with my, with my phone, it's always like Snyder releases. Oh, you get to see cyborgs armpit. I'm like, I don't care anymore. Can we just get past yeah. this? Like, Oh, did you know that there was a quiet scene of all of them sipping coffee and talking about things? The same? Like, I don't care that movie doesn't exist. And as much as Snyder keeps like teasing out things, we're not getting that. So I, I know we'll not get Duel of the Fates, better title, but like, and I think it's interesting to look at Disney had this in front of them and made a decision to not do it. So maybe there's something there we don't know about. Fine. But it just shows you that you actually had, like, if it was, if the issue was Carrie Fisher passed away, I still think you probably could have come up with a more elegant solution for that. And that's script. me hypothesizing. I'm not saying that that's no, specifically. No, I, I think what, I don't think you're wrong. Differences were. It's just that you could have you could have changed it to have a stand-in for another person take over that role. Like you could even had Poe be like like you know advanced or whatever, because it's like I don't. I think that solution you could have found a creative solution to that and addressed everything and made it emotionally resonant. Versus a lot of what we got in Skywalker, where I feel like it was like, I feel like they had, I think they front sold, oh, no, 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 we're going to handle Leia well. And there was moments it was okay, but I think they did too much of it. Because there's times where it's like, literally, you know that she's just waiting for a director's like, you know, action or whatever. She's just standing there. It's like, we don't need every bit of unused footage to be forced into this film. You know, that's my thought. I've only seen it once, but that was my takeaway from it. Um, I just think it's funny that this just showed up and everyone's like, Bar! it's like fans just, you're not going to get everything you want. Cause if you did, you would not be happy anyway. And you know, maybe, maybe, maybe if Disney was smart, they released this as a, what if like a comic or something. Well, that's the thing. I really, really hope that at some point we get some sort of, book that kind of covers all the different drafts of sure. not only this film but episode yeah. seven uh the michael art draft the uh draft of rogue one that would have been shot before they made the changes to it um so little i understand that they deviated not from the uh they deviated from the script as opposed to uh refilming a different script so there's changes there being made, but I would love a book that just kind of covers all that stuff to know what those changes were and what originally was going to happen. There's a, a book uh, called Slash the Titans, um, and what it does is it chronicles, I think it was 13 years from the time the first script was written until Freddy vs. Jason came out. But there were like literally like the joke was that everyone in Hollywood at one point had written a Freddy vs. Jason dra uh, draft. Um, and this book just goes through and tells you everything that happens in each one of those drafts. It's a fascinating read and how crazy it got at one point from how far away they got away from what those two characters are. Um, and there's a book that I got for Christmas called uh, Taking Shape, which is a chronicling of all the Halloween movies up until 2018. Okay. Um, I guess they're working on a sequel already that's going to be every unproduced Halloween movie Nice. You know, that okay. was going to be made and cover all those scripts. So that's really what I would like from at least this 
first five years of Star Wars. Why not? Because at least there's something like there's the, there's something to be had in the margins and the corners of like someone had this thought. Like like I know when we talked about Alien Three, there was so mm. many iterations of that. Like I like like you know, even when you talked about like the comic that was eventually produced of um oh what's his name. The, William the, the, Gibson? Yeah, William Gibson's five, like the five issues of that. Like, at least you get to see it kind of like, you know, like come to light and you can be like, oh, okay, something worked, something didn't work. You could see why they moved away from that, but it'd be interesting to look at. Um, <clears throat> I know uh, I've recently started watching this young lady on uh, YouTube named uh, Judy Nicholson. I was talking to Steve about this last week before we started recording. And I don't know why this girl who's like half my age has like a lot of takes that I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but she. Uh, before Rise of Skywalker, she did a video about like when they asked all these like sci-fi writers, like, what would you do for episode nine? She did this whole thing. It went on for a while. There's an article where people kind of give their opinions, but Alan Dean Foster, who's like a known science fiction writer. Well, I believe he's written adaptations for, for yes, the novelizations. Yes. She does a breakdown of his pitch for episode uh, like uh, nine. Okay. And it gets weird. And it's really funny. <laughs> and it's like, he's like, he like retro like actively dismisses a lot of the last jedi but then his decisions aren't great either so she goes into depth about like 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 the big thing is you eventually find out that ray is like part like cyborg like it gets really weird and he goes into the whole like which is it was funny because he's like going into the whole thing that snoke is a clone well before rise of skywalker was like oh yeah there's seven of them here in a jar um like so like the big like a lot of the big things in the end was like these multiple snokes <laughs> attacking people like <laughs> but it's like his take is like weird and kind of like it's not any better but it's like right. he, he does his own kind of treatment of like episode nine so i think it's worthy like, if people get a chance to watch the video it's 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 her take on it's really funny in the way she goes into it and digs into it but as much as she makes commentary, it doesn't change what he wrote. Like if he's like, if I was to do this, this is what I would do. I'm sure like if we could just like full stop on last Jedi and I was like, Steve, what would you do for episode nine? You'd have a different take too. I would have a different take. I just think this, uh, Trevor script. I, I don't know how complete it is. I, I almost kind of hope that it is complete, at least as a draft. I would love it to be put out as a PDF that I could just read. Right. I think that'd be fun. Like just to read. Cause even, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, guy that directed The Mist and Shawshank Redemption and did The Walking Frank Dead. Darabont. Frank Darabont. Why does that name escape me? He wrote <clears throat> an earlier draft for Indiana Jones and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that's out there to, to read. And there's a lot of Lucas's tinkering in it, but it's a better movie than what we got. Well, it's like, um, I don't know if it's technically a better movie because it's been years since I've actually read through it, but uh, the Kevin Smith draft of Superman. Um, from 97, 98. Yeah, I've not read that. I, I actually am um, interested. You know, and if you guys have ever seen uh, the first uh, evening with Kevin Smith, he kind of details some of the things that he was requested to put into that that's script. A, that's a funny story, but yeah. it's also heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of craziness going on in a that lot script of, A lot well. of robotic spiders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not show up later in, in another wild, film. Wild, Wild West. <laughs> but uh, I think that... Uh, I think we're years away probably from seeing that stuff, at least officially. Yeah. I think Disney will wait until they're pretty far away from this new trilogy to do anything like this. Because there was supposed to be a Making of Force Awakens book that was supposed to chronicle from that time that Lucas handed it over till the film came out. And it was solicited, and it kept getting pushed back, and it kept getting pushed back, and then suddenly it was just gone. <laughs> um, so I feel like... 
they don't want to reveal the curtain, at least on what's going on behind the scenes right now. I really hope that we get something at some point. Yeah, sure. So, all right. So the moral of the story is people are never going to be happy no matter what. And the like, and people championing a script that was not greenlit, you know, take it with a grain of salt. There may have been decisions why they didn't go with it, you know? So, but either way, uh, just what we could take away from it, better title. That's that's what I'll say. Way better title for that film. I think that was a way cooler title than uh, people would have lost their minds if you had said that was the title of the film. Yeah, like yeah, as opposed to Rise of Skywalker. But anyway, all right. So enough about Star Wars talk because that's not that's not what we do here. We don't talk about Star Wars or Batman. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just get into our, our talk about another kind of Batman. And now for our feature presentation. So uh, we decided to watch, uh, it's on Netflix, it's three episodes, it's, uh, it's called Dracula, uh, I'm sure you guys can find it, uh, it is uh, a limited series uh, co-produced by the BBC, I think it was produced by the BBC, but like Netflix had the rights for it, so it was actually shown on BBC, like whatever their channels are, before it was actually released on Netflix in the US. Um, you had suggested this to watch it, so what, what about it was initially interesting to, to you? Well, first I wanted to ask you two questions. One, have you ever read Stoker's original I have. Yeah, I actually have read. It's been forever, but I did read Dracula. Okay, so I've never actually read it. So Kind of dry. I don't have, you know, a literary basis for the character, but I've seen a lot of different versions of Dracula. Um, So my second question was going to be, what is your your favorite, at least, depiction of this story? That's a good question, because I... I don't know. That's actually like, cause so Stoker's Dracula is uh, like, it's a lot of it's told through correspondence, like different letters. So it's always, it's always cool to get someone's interpretation of events. And then even knowing then like as much Stoker may not have been thinking about it. It's always like the perception of what's going on may not be accurate because it's one person's take on things. Right. So, but it was it was an interesting enough read. Uh, it just it got a lot a lot of like gobbledygook between like you know being gentlemen's and, and women and all this whatever. But um, like so, my favorite Dracula, I guess I don't know. Like it that's it's an iconic character that keeps showing up up again and again because he's public domain, so you can make as many Dracula things as you want. Um, it's hard to say. Like I vampires as a whole aren't always fascinating to me because I feel like like there people always just kind of either so either you got like the Dracula of this where he's more there is a sexual there there's definitely a lot of sexual things going on in the series you don't necessarily get that from the book you get the brides of Dracula but it's not you don't really get the whole like chemistry thing okay and then you get um oh shoot um Count Dooku. Uh, you get uh, Christopher Lee. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Christopher Lee, who's amazing as Dracula. And <laughs> credit to this miniseries, they do some great callbacks to his films. He's a powerful presence, you know? Uh, so, like, you got that that archetype, which I think is more him, his acting and portrayal. Uh, and then you end up getting, like, later you get Anne Rice, who kind of, like, she ends up making a much more sexual thing. And as much as we talk about Twilight and, and being, like, kind of shitty, Twilight wouldn't exist without Anne Rice, like getting into it, like and. So you're blaming Anne Rice? Not blaming her, but she definitely <laughs> she definitely reset people's thought process and made okay. it more romantic. 
in the sense. And then now you have it where like vampires kind of exist. It's like, Oh, they're forever damned, but they just want to be loved. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know if I have a favorite, like if anything, I guess, I guess because I'm a honk for uh, uh, Stephen King, I love Salem's lot because it takes a much more like small town approach to what, a vampire infestation might be like, and even like, um, I am legend, Richard Matheson. Like that's a great vampire story, but it's like vampire slash like zombie type of thing. But in terms of characterizations of Dracula as a character, I don't know. That's not a good answer. No, that's okay. I was just curious if you had one. I don't know. Like I, I made the joke last week about Dracula dead and loving it. That's not, not Leslie <laughs> Nielsen. Um, I just, it begins and ends with Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, so I don't know, man. Is there is there one that you prefer? So it's easy to say Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi, yeah. But I blanked. It's, yeah, it's probably <laughs> Bella Lugosi. Yeah. Um, that's the callback in this movie, not Christopher Lee. But, you know, yeah. oh, sorry, I, the series. I love that movie. I, I love him as that character. Um, but also, I don't know. Have you ever seen the Spanish version of Dracula? No. Okay. So when they were making Dracula, there was also a crew that was making the Spanish version. So I believe at nights when the regular American crew would go home. Yeah, they'd use the same sets and they'd shoot it at nighttime and they'd shoot it with a better movie, (laughs) which is crazy. The only problem with it is, is that it's in Spanish. No. Well, (laughs) that too. But the uh, the actor who plays Dracula, in my opinion, just isn't as good as Lugosi. Okay. I'm like, God, I wish this guy was directing the Lugosi version because it's just a far better version, in huh. my opinion. Um, but I didn't actually get introduced to... Uh, somehow, the Hammer movies missed me growing up. Um, I, I feel like it was early 2000s. Um, my partner on the Saturday Night Slasher, Ryan, was like, you know, hey, check out some of these Hammer horror movies, and I had not seen them. I'm like, oh my god, these have Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Like, mm-hmm. how do I not know about these movies? Um, so I have a, a an affinity for those. Um, but then even when you start getting off into, I don't want to use this as, this term as a knockoff because I actually think that both Blackula films are really good, um, but they're also a subset of that dracula adaptation um i'm not a fan of francis ford coppola's i haven't revisited it so it's a little unfair of me to say that i like the beginning part where actually he ties more the vlad the impaler and then there's a bit with him like striking this cross like pouring blood like he shot a lot of like like a silent film and like would actually shot it without sound and would yell at the actor what to do so he actually tried to go back to the early filmmaking I've not seen that movie since I saw it in the theater, though. You Same know, here. Like, yeah. So it's it's unfair of me to say that, but it was. It's it's not one that I've wanted to go back and revisit. Um, but you know, I think as much as I love Keanu Reeves, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, I will say I don't. I have this separation between thinking of a vampire story and Dracula. Like I love Blade. And I know that the third Blade Dracula shows up. I've ne- I've never, okay, an admission here. I've not made it through the third Blade movie because it's that bad. Um, <laughs> Here's the admission: I've not seen any of the Blade movies. Oh, you've not? No, I don't. It just skipped past me. I've heard the second one's great. It's Del Toro. Like, yeah, I just, the first one's good. 
Second one is the best. It's Del Toro. Um, there's a little bit wonky CGI in that movie because it was like sort of when we were figuring out like how much yeah, they could I do mean, CGI it, wise. It's the, it's the mid '90s, right? Um, so yeah. Well, no, that one's 2002. It's the same oh, year as so, Spider-Man. Oh shit! All but right. there's there is wonky CGI in the first Blade as well. But um, I think that's Norrington who directed that, and he's a very good director as well. And there's some wonderful shots in it um hell the opening of that movie is at a rave where like the spl- the sprinkler system turns on and like it's just blood coming out and it's just all these people dancing in blood and it's- yeah I, it's that's it, so hold me hold me to this we'll get to the blade movies this year okay like at some point but I don't really consider. Should that be a Valentine's Day thing? <laughs> sure, why not? Um, or my bloody Valentine. Yeah. Oh, we... but you know, we're gonna call guys. Here's our future programming. Uh, we're gonna watch. <laughs> we're gonna cover the original My Bloody Valentine for Valentine's Day because okay. that movie's interesting. Yes. And I think there's a new version of it coming out th- from Scream Factory. A, so a, a, a third one? Because no, a... no, it, like a new version. I think with oh, okay, um, footage that was cut out of it that they've okay. recently recovered. But don't quote me on that. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna watch my bloody Valentine. We're gonna get we're gonna get Canadian and mining and weird on <laughs> Valentine's Day. That's what's gonna happen. That'll work. Yeah. So anyway. um you don't have to talk me into it. <laughs> uh but I, I have a separation in my head between vampires and Dracula. I know that Dracula is a vampire, but when it comes to actual adaptations, mm-hmm. I for whatever reason, I wouldn't think of the like I think of the Lost Boys because it's a vampire movie, but I don't think of it as an adaptation of Dracula or that lore. So um, I do have this weird dividing line in my head. That's fair, I, and uh, even like there's the the Netflix animated series Castlevania, which I've still not seen season two. I need to. Their representation of Dracula and that's really interesting too because he's more of just like he's more. Like he's he knows who he is and he doesn't purposely like inter, like interact with people. Mm-hmm. It's interesting take. I Dracula as a character is it's it's very iconic, right? But it's like it just I don't know. Like it's just I think it's because we've been um, we're in this place in time where there's been so many vampire things. Sure, it's easy to kind of not forget about him, but like there. A lot of what we know as vampires has been built later. That's true. I mean, I would also say probably in the last 10 years, we've had a glut of both vampires and zombies. So um, maybe it's time to give those ideas a rest for a little bit. And that's not a commentary on this this production because there are quite a few things that I really enjoyed about it. Um, But I did want to take one step back on Coppola's... um, adaptation of dracula uh, and it has actually it's not actually related to the film it's the comic book adaptation of it by okay. your favorite artist mike mcnolan <laughs> but it is fantastic his artwork is so good in that today is, is it squares fighting squares and triangles <laughs> no I, I tell you i watched i watched the newest hellboy did I you, tell you did okay, we yeah, talked yeah, about it talking, last yeah, episode yeah, sorry yeah now and it's like maybe i should give it a chance like i when mcnolia was doing like you know x-factor just it was annoying, and, and maybe it's because that maybe maybe that's not the right place for him. You're hearing the the hearts of a thousand artists breaking right now because I it, think he's a fantastic artist. But like X Factor, like his like drawing of like Wolfsbane and Strong Guy. I don't know. Like people are gonna tell me I'm wrong, and you know, fine. <laughs> um, Long story short, I would just recommend people checking that out, and it is my comicsology. Oddly enough, I have a black and white version of it, similar to Jim okay, Lee's. Okay, well then noir. I will give it a chance. Yeah, yes. you, you may want to check it out. Yeah. Um, 
Although I will say that it's it's interesting because the coloring in the original version is actually quite good. So um, I may. So have you're going to rob point... you're going to rob me of that experience. Well, no, I've, I've got the I've got the floppy versions of that. So oh, okay. the, the actual <laughs> the floppy versions yeah, of that, as opposed to the digital. Oh, that takes me um, back to prom night. Anyway, go ahead, please. <laughs> uh, uh, so getting into to Dracula, I think we both come into this uh, with quite a bit of baggage, at least with the character. So I kind of yeah. wanted to just dive into a little bit of what so, we each thought. Do you own any Dracula movies? As in, like, do I? Yeah, I, well, I own the Universal films. I own okay. quite a few of the Hammer films now. Um, I don't know if I have... Oh, well, the two Blackulas, I, I count those as being Okay. I think that's that. fair, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything that's modern Dracula. No, I was going to say, the only thing I own is a VHS copy of Zoltan, The Hound of Dracula. And I keep wanting to watch that movie. <laughs> It it's might not, be terrible. It's it, not it's, good. It's, it's got a great good. title, though. I know. And it, and I don't even have a VCR anymore, and I still own the VHS copy <laughs> of that. And the reel is, like, this big. It's, like, super tiny because it's the reel is, like, coded in EP. Like, Because nice. there's the three speeds for VHS tapes. It was it uh, SP? SLP and EP. Yeah. So SP is the higher quality, but, like, you know, it's two hours. ELP is, like, four hours and, and not great. And then EP is, like, eight hours and shitty. This was mass released on an EP reel. It's, like... It's like it's like the real the size of like a scotch tape reel. It's wow. like <laughs> so yes, I own Zoltan the Hound of Dracula. That's the thing I own. So yeah, I uh I think I own now that I think about it, I, I own Dracula, Dracula's daughter, the Spanish version. Um and, and this is unfortunate. Um <laughs> do you remember when the Van Helsing with Hugh Jack- Jackman yeah. came out? Okay. Universal used that as a a way to put out these nice box sets for um, the Universal Monsters. And the Dracula collection is amazing. I've got that one, and I've got the Frankenstein one. So um, they're both really good. They're DVDs. I just recently actually upgraded to uh, Blu-ray on both of those. But, yeah, Um, and if you want to revisit the... the original Dracula with Lugosi, it's in my voodoo as nice. well. I mean, and I do I do have a nice print of uh, the Monster Squad that has like, the universal. Oh, God, I forgot yeah. about the Monster Squad. Yeah. He's a, That's a great Dracula in there. Yeah, it's a good, good Dracula. Um, I don't know if he has nards or not, but yeah. Shame on myself. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm annoyed that I actually forgot that. <laughs> yeah. um, it's always in your field of view of recording. I know. <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> so, all right, let, let's, let's, let's step forward here and talk about uh, this this iteration of Dracula, which is uh, developed by Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat. Um, and so it is a three episode series, limited series, um, with the potential of making more. I this we'll, we'll, you know, we'll maybe I, I have my thoughts. Um, and so this, this comes from the background. And so I, I'm not that familiar with Mark Gaddis. So, but I know he, he and Moffat have worked together previously. Uh, Gaddis had a Jekyll limited series that was on the BBC that I guess is very mixed. Uh, it's like a modern take on the Jekyll and Hyde. Um, Stephen Moffat, who was the showrunner on Sherlock, who did a modern take with, uh, you know, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, um, and, and, um, oh shoot. Martin uh, Freeman. Mar- yeah. Martin Freeman. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, so, and that was well received. I've not watched any of that. I, I've, I, not I, watched I've, I've meant either. to, I just, I've heard it's great. I've heard a lot of it's great. Heard that when it gets to like the second half, maybe not so much. I feel like that's very much a Stephen Moffat thing. Um, so when we talk about this, I do apologize in advance. I'm more familiar with Moffat than I am with Gaddis. So anything I I lay at the 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 feet of 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 Moffat on this, it might not be him. 
but there's a lot in this that feels like him. Okay. So, and he's also, from my knowledge, my biggest exposure to Moffat is Doctor Who. Uh, he was the showrunner on a lot of the modern Doctor Who, meaning like the, the, the biggest iteration recently from the Eccleston season on. Uh, he, he was the main showrunner for bringing in David Tennant's character um, uh, of the Doctor and, um, oh shoot, the guy after him. Um, was it Matt Smith? Matt Smith. What my brain is a piece of shit tonight. So Matt Smith. It's interesting. I've then, never watched an episode of Doctor uh, you know, Who, but yeah. I knew that. For and then after reason. that, you ended up getting um, oh uh, Peter Capaldi, who he, uh, Moffat was with him until that, till Capaldi exited the show, and and Moffat exited with him. And now then the the current season that's on now is like there's been two seasons without Moffat's influence. So he oversaw a lot of Doctor Who, which is what I'm like I, I'm familiar with with him. So. Um, that's just kind of the background of this. We'll get more into Moffat in a second. So whenever you said to me, let's watch this Dracula thing that Moffat's involved, I'm like, yes, let's do that. Because I have a very much a love hate relationship with Moffat as a, as a showrunner and as a writer. Um, like, and by love hate, I mean, literally there's things about him. I absolutely adore. And there's things that just piss me off. And you know, watching the series and we're just going to throw this out now. Do you know why they are called spoilers? <laughs> I think this thing's worth watching. It's like less than six hours all, all total. You guys can burn through it in like a day. Um, th- this is very much evident. There's things I love. There's things I hate about this. So I don't know where we want to start with with this. Like it, it, it jumps off with the book. Uh, the first two episodes are really not. They take a lot from the book. And then the third third episode just completely goes in a different direction. Yeah, I was thinking about this in terms of our discussion last week of the adaptation of Hush, which I feel like I don't know that I was as good. Uh, I, I don't think I was as clear about it as I possibly could have about uh, why it worked for me versus why it didn't. Um, but I also I did some research for this. Um, and by research, I mean I went on the Internet and read some people's thoughts on it. Um <laughs> But it is interesting to me, like how certain things people will take to heart, and certain things that. Let me rephrase this: some people seem to have issues with things that were changed, but then be okay with other things that were changed, and then vice versa. Yeah. And you know what I thought was interesting was is that I tried to place myself in the fact that you know I didn't have. Until we get to the third episode, I had actually really no problems with this at all. No, me neither. Um, yeah. I thought it was a really well done production. I'd heard people complaining about the effects. I thought the effects were actually really good. Yeah, for what um, it was, I think they were fine. Like, uh, yeah. the transformation out front of the the um, the nunnery, yeah, was gross and amazing. Like, yeah, and you know, there's a lot of practical effects in it. I mean, there's some CGI in it, no doubt, but. For what it was, I was like, I was actually pretty impressed with it. I saw people who were upset with one of the major changes being. Should I just? You already did the spoiler thing, so yeah. I can say it. So, um, in this version, um, Van Helsing is also a nun. Um, That's actually, I think, my favorite part of this. Yeah, and that actress is really great. In yeah, her that name's role. Dolly Wells, and she plays Agatha Van Helsing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And what's funny is is I came to that realization probably 20 minutes before the character announced who she was. Oh. Um, 
And I, but at that point, I just thought she was a nun and an interesting character. Um, I had a point with this, but it was it was more about just the fact that when it comes to adaptations, people seem to have their quirks about them that are specific only to them. You well, know? yeah, because that's the things they hold on to. What's important to them? And again, when you take something like like, so I think the book Dracula is important because. In terms of like horror fiction, it was one of the, the the not the first, but like one of the bigger hits at the time. And Stoker was kind of a one trick pony because he wrote other stuff after that that wasn't that great. But he tripped upon something, and then you had like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Like there was something coming. Like so, we've had like over a hundred years to ruminate on this. You know? Right. So. I just think that <laughs> approaching this adaptation, keeping that in mind, it's just like. This is gonna make no one happy. Like, <laughs> I guess was my long rounded way of of getting around to saying that, like, no matter what they did, there was always gonna be something that people were going to find issue with. Of course. And, and while the third episode goes very far afield from everything that we know about, at least the classical version of Dracula, um, it it certainly it is ballsy. At the same time, I don't know that it entirely works. But That's those true. first two two episodes were, I, I loved both of them. I thought that they were really, really good stuff. So okay, so I guess there's no spoiler to say. Like, so the framing of this is a little different than the book because it does go differently than the book and that's fine like these these guys so I'll say this about Gaddis and Moffat like you could tell that they they have a love of the original source material like you could feel that um you know just for, for the sense of like you could tell that they get a chance to play in like that time frame and just some of the conventions they get to mess with like you can tell they love Dracula like they love the book right yeah and they love different iterations of it too because there's definitely a lot of nods to the hammer there's nods yeah to like when i was making universal when correctly said but like there's like shots that look exactly like lugosi with the red eyes coming in and it's like it's so good yeah you know like i like that so you could tell they have a love for this they have a love of the history of it that doesn't mean just because they love something that they that that they don't feel like well you know what these people have made their changes we can make our own like this isn't a sacred cow like i could appreciate that mm-hmm. um do I necessarily agree with all the changes made? No, but whatever. Like that's 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 you know that's their changes. But so it starts off with um with the the the, the nun Agatha, uh, talking to Jonathan Harker about his time dealing with Count Dracula, and we should point out that he looks like he's um halfway to being Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. <laughs> yeah. And the bit where the fly goes into his eye, like the the tear duct, and you see it behind his eye, it's like, yeah. ugh, I'm done, done, <laughs> done with life, done right now. But it's like this, like him telling his story because he said he written it all out, and she's questioning him. So it's a very good like framing device of like, well, you know, he got out, but things aren't right. And so you get this whole setup of him being in this castle of dealing with Count Dracula, and like as much as there's fun to be had there, like it almost felt like. After knowing where everything kind of goes, it almost feels like they're like, do we have to go through this again? Like there was a lot of like, I felt the first half of the first episode felt kind of boring to me because it's like, we know the story. And I didn't feel like there's a lot of like difference brought in until you get to the reveal that Harker is dead. Yes. And well, he's turned. So whatever, we don't know that he's undead is. Yeah. And then when you find out that, that, that sister Agatha is a Van Helsing and she's like, I like, I her characterization of if, if anything we're going to say about this whole series here and by whole series of me three episodes, she is one of the most 
unique, interesting characters I've come across in a very long time. Because mm-hmm. she's a nun, she's beholden to the, the the commitment she's made, but she does not believe in God. And like, I I love that whole thing of like, she's like, yeah, if he was there, then the shit wouldn't be happening. And then the moment she starts talking to Harker, she's like, oh, you saw the devil. I'm rejoiced. Cause that means there's God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know that it's that she doesn't believe in God. It's that she's lost her faith in God, or at least yeah. doesn't believe God exists and thinks that maybe she's devoted her life to yeah. the wrong thing. And then when she comes to the real, it's a wonderful moment when she comes to that realization where she's like, if you exist and you've seen the devil, that means there's a God and my life was for, not for nothing. Yeah. So she's using logic at like logic and reasoning at the time that like would fit the worldview. Yes. And I appreciate that. And how matter of fact she is. She's, she's got a great line where uh, she's talking about, uh, you know, were you involved sexually with, uh, with Dracula? And he's kind of put off by the question and she's like, you know, I'm a nun. I deal with, you know, restricting my sexual appetites like literally every day or something to that effect. Yeah. And it was it was very apropos. It's like, yeah, that would be something that you would deal with all the time. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, there, I just, there was something about basically like, you know, that, like like uh, God's like not like a deadbeat husband, but it's like I'm married to this guy that does nothing. <laughs> like that was kind of like hit the vibe from her. So I like that. I like her line of questioning. She's trying to figure out what's going on. And it's like, and it's like, I almost be, I almost want to say, screw it. Can she just dismiss the Dracula thing? Can I have the adventures of sister Agatha as a series of her going to, inv- can we have like the nun X files of that time? I would love, <laughs> I just, I would have loved She's the her. Kolchak, the night stalker yeah! of How uh, great the 1800s. Would that, How great would that have been? Just her like confronting <laughs> all this stuff. It would have been great. Um, but I like her and it's like, as matter of fact as she is, um, the, the gentleman who plays Dracula, which is a uh, clays clause as C L A E S bang. So his last name is bang. So Mr. Bang as Dracula, um, he, he's really good too. At, at first though, when he's like the decrepit old man and it's like, okay, great. I just, I felt like they were like, we have to get him to where he looks sexy. We have to get to the sexy point. And like, well, just- yeah, I think also, cause I, I, Again, I mentioned that people were saying like, oh, they didn't think the makeup and effects were good. And I, I thought that that was a really great old age makeup. On oh, it was I thought fine. he looked creepy yeah. as hell. It was fine, yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, there was probably part of that where it was like, well, how many iterations can we do of this? Because it feels like he goes from being seriously disturbingly gross and old to just being old to sexy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I feel like... They at some point were probably like, we've got to make a decision what the in betweens are here, and they just kind of cut to the chase. Yeah, they do. So, which now knowing the scope of the whole series makes sense from that point, but it also when watching that episode, I felt like it was kind of shortchanged a little bit because it's like, but at the same time, anybody coming into watching Dracula knows that he is a vampire and sucks life out of people, and you get that he's basically keeping Harker around as like just to get him more acclimated to the day and time. Like, and, and so smart thing here, I'll give smart thing. Number one of the series, the notion that when you find out that because Dracula, when he kills somebody, they come back as the undead, but mine, mostly they're mindless and kind of like lost, but he somehow surpassed that when he got turned, which we don't know why or how, but he's been able to live on because he's been smart about his selection of who he drinks from 
because there's that line of um, blood is lives mm -hmm. and how he is just kind of adapted to those he's fed off of. So that's why he brought Harker in because he was a smart like, like lawyer or real estate guy or whatever. Like act, he was a British gentleman because he was moving to England. I got I got it like drink from this because he can learn languages, history, essence. That's a, like that. I've never gotten that take on a vampire before. Yeah, it's like osmosis, basically. Yeah, it's really cool because yeah. there's a bit in the third episode where he's, you know, spoilers brought into the the day, you know, today, and there's a bit where he's like trying to come up with the word, and he's like, because he drank this guy named Bob, he's like, was it telephone? He's like, thanks, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's, there, it's like that's great, you know. Like, and in the second episode, whenever he says his German's rusty, and he goes and like drinks the Bavarian dude, he suddenly knows German. It's like I really, really like that because of the implication that if you're like if you stay in one place and maybe like the people are uneducated or whatever, you, you could, you could become dumber yeah, and less, <laughs> and less involved. And it's kind of choosing. It's kind of hinted yeah. at too in the third episode, right? It's like, that's a cool idea. It's like, not like this does sustain him, but it kind of dictates who he is. And he's smart enough to know that you have to pick from the best vintages or, or you're not going to be, like yourself, you're, you're, you're going to lose things. I, that's a cool idea. I really yeah. dug that. That was a smart idea. Yeah. I, I loved also skipping ahead a little bit further into the story. Uh, once the reveal happens, uh, at the nunnery or, or church, um, that, uh, you know, he, Harker is undead. We also then get a reveal that there's a second nun who's sitting in on the, because count of Jonathan Van Harker. Helsing was like, well, we she's like, I need you know, I need accountability because I'd be left alone with the man or whatever. Yeah, she says. Um, and we come to find out that that's Mina actually. And for those of you who know the story of Dracula, Mina Mina is his uh, fiance, and she would become under in many versions of the story under the count's spell as well. Um, but here, that's not the way it goes. Um, and we kind of see her dealing with the horror of what has happened to Jonathan, but mm -hmm. also um, at the same time, the Count shows up at the church, um, and that's where the uh, Sister Agatha starts having all these revelations about the things that she's studied about vampires, yeah. but isn't quite sure. Um, he shows up outside, and uh, he's in the guise of a wolf. And she calls him out on it, which is well, wonderful. First, but like all the bats, she's like, "Hey, can you get rid of the bats? They're kind of a nuisance." And yeah. then they all go away. It's like it, it's it's funny, and it's like she's so like, "Just can you get rid of them? Can we talk?" Right. And then she's like, "Wolf, I know you're Dracula. Could you just uh, you know get out of that?" And then like it's not just a poof of smoke; it is gruesome. Yeah. And then uh, all these other nuns come out behind her, and she's talking to him. And uh, he says something, and she's like, oh, don't worry, we're prepared. And, like, you see that they all have spikes. <laughs> yeah. and they're all ready to just stake, they're, they're ready to stake him. Um, but I love that conversation. I love the fact that, like, each time that she says something to him, it's to sort of find out what is actually real and what's myth. And kind of pushing boundaries. Like, the, there's yeah. the bit where she uh, she cuts her, her like, palm and, like, mm -hmm basically like throw some blood at him. She's like, you want this? And you can see him always fighting this urge to be like an animal. And it's yeah. like, that's something that is used to great effect. And I, and I like that they, like he's supposed to, he wants to pretend himself to be like this evolved figure, but the moment there's fresh blood, 
he can't stop himself. Like I, I like that idea too. Mm-hmm. We've seen animalistic vampires and like you know whatever, but it, there's a nice duality there that I I liked the exploration of because it is shown later too. Yeah, um, and we also find out you know. If crosses work, if, you know, the standby of being invited in works, and uh, obviously if sunlight is a part of it. So we kind of find out what's actually true about the legend, what isn't, uh, as Agatha is piecing it together. Um, so I really liked that turn. Um, and then there's a, a scene where the nuns are celebrating, but he's still outside. <laughs> um, yeah. And he, he gets led... He he basically gets back into the convent uh, by asking Jonathan Harker to invite him in. Yeah, because the whole thing there is that uh, he Harker tries to kill himself because he doesn't want to attack Mina, and then Dracula's like, you know, it has to be someone that cares about you. And it's like no one knows that. Whatever. Right. And he's like, I can kill you. Let me in. And it's like, oh no, Dracula's in. And there's the bit where the like the head nun is like talking, and it's like I'm just like the entire time I'm like. When's the other shoe going to drop with her? Right. <laughs> and, like, and it drops in a pretty dramatic way. It's pretty funny. And like, head yeah. nun is pretty actually uh, <laughs> appropriate for that. So there's some like, so how did you feel about like the modern comedy and that where like he would say things like Dracula as a performer, this guy is amazing and I love him and I want to see him in everything now because the guy's really good, but like he would make some kind of like, like very topical statements back then. Like I, I don't have some of the jokes written out, but it's like, is very on the nose. Some of the stuff. Yeah, I liked that. I liked his delivery. Yeah. I thought he had just the right amount of sort of. Uh, I, I want to say uh, sarcasm, but more of a, it's not even sarcasm. It's it's more of a a, a sly way of uh, the way that he would say things, and um, just a a nice ounce of villainy to everything oh, that he yeah. did. Um, I think that uh, he, of you know the the. And granted, you know, we've already gone through all the different incarnations, but I think he's a he's a welcome addition to actors who have taken on that role. Yeah, because he finds that balance between it's like you kind of like him and it's yeah. like, oh, I don't want to like. And so like he's I, supposed to be the bad guy, but you kind of like him. Yeah, yeah. And it's like um, like I made the joke on like when I was writing about this on Facebook. I was like, all right, I'm going to watch Dracula, a.k.a. everybody wants to bang Dracula. It's like right. everybody kind of <laughs> wants to bang Dracula, you know, and. I, I just I, I like I, there was the bit like after he gets in and he kills the head nun and like they're all kind of like we're all over the place and he's just sitting there and he's like if I wanted to kill you all I could do it right now but you know basically he's like I'm gonna punish you all and bring wolves in and just tear you apart and it's like oh that, that, I wanted to go back real quick too when he was outside still and after he naked yeah like, he's, he's pacing naked back, yeah there's in front of these nuns there's a great moment where he says something about oh look at them they can't take their eyes off of me and, and she's, she's like, like we're no. nuns and you're a naked man yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's some of those kind of like modern like statements. It's like that feels very much like Moffat where he's like, yeah, I'm going to take the piss out of this right now because it's the clever thing to say. It was funny. It worked. And yeah, it worked really yeah. well, I thought. Um, so and then uh, so with that, then we get the the, the, the second episode of where it, it does, this also deals with the book where he was on a boat and you get in some more of the mythos. Um, so how did you feel about the conceit about halfway through the episode, because we find out, because we don't really know what happens with uh, with Agatha and uh, Dracula, because she offers herself to him in exchange for Mina, 
And so you don't really know how that plays out. And that gets revisited a couple times over the next two episodes to show you fully what happened. I'm fine with that. But it starts off with her in like almost looks like Dracula's castle mm-hmm. um, playing chess. Um, and he's trying to tell her a story about the time he was on the ship. And so you go back, like she's going back and forth asking questions about like things going on. You can see he appreciates the game. Cause this is the first time he's had somebody that actually challenges him. Yeah. And, and they're forever. playing chess. So yeah. It's, it's, it's very on the, nose, on the nose and not the first time Moffat's used that as a device, but whatever. Anyway. So, um, you know, write what you know, I guess. Uh, but how did you feel about the reveal halfway through that this was actually kind of like a mind prison for her? I actually loved that. Okay. I really, I really dug that because it pissed I me kept, off, but continue. please. Okay. Yeah. I actually kept trying to figure out who was in cabin nine. Yeah. And I loved the reveal when when they pull back and you see <laughs> that the room is a nine. Oh, that made me so goddamn mad. Really? Oh, I thought it was wonderful. Um, it just felt so literal. Like well, I just. Ugh. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely literal. It's a nine. Um, <laughs> Maybe but... it's a six. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, she wasn't in room seven. So. Yeah, no, no. It just okay. Good, good, good. I'm glad that you like that. Um, so because it, it the no, the notion that he was that he still kept her there and he was still kind of feeding off of her because again he was trying to prove to her that he can make this voyage, but he picked out the different vintages, so to speak, of all these different victims. But then he would just like kill two people a night. It's like, dude, like save your food, you know? Right. But uh, so okay, I could appreciate it. Except, so again, this might be gas, and it may, but I blame Moffat because he he would do these things where he understands the narrative of television. So, in the sense of like, you go from episode one, to episode two, it's like, oh, they're together talking. It's like, so as a viewer, you have questions, but you take for what you see as face value. He's done this like a few different times on Doctor Who. Okay. And after a while, you're like, okay, great. It's a mind prison. Just deal. Like, <laughs> it just felt like it, it just felt like it was being overly clever but i also feel like it comes into play throughout the rest of the story um, when we see him uh and again spoilers uh with agatha's you know um great something she's like a great great grandniece or something yeah Yeah, it looks exactly like her that looks just like her um and another scene i think involving uh uh lucy uh, a similar thing. Yeah. Uh, so I actually didn't have a problem with that because I felt like had it just been a visual thing that they did and it never came back in the story, maybe I would have had more problem with it. But I didn't see it coming. And just the fact that she'd been on the boat the whole time with him, I thought it was a nice reveal. Okay. That's fair. I just, I don't know, something about it. just like, great. Thanks. There, like, there was a mystery that it didn't, I don't know. It's like, it didn't need to be a mystery like to me, like you, but the whole, I just, there's the gap in time where it's like, Oh, well Van Helsing's here. And it's like, why would she be okay with being like with him? And it's like, there was those questions I had. It's like, Oh, whatever. But that, that's very Moffat of just like, you didn't know the entire time, but this is what's going on. To be fair though. It also might have to do with the fact that both of those actors are really good in those scenes. That's so fair. That's, like and the more of them together, a part of it too. was great. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I just I did like that like 
earlier in the nunnery. She's like, I'm just going to put the these communion wafers down. They'll keep they'll keep vampires from us. <laughs> it's like okay. And then later she's like, I'm going to just nail all these Bible pages down. It's like that doesn't work either time. Like, you know, like, and they reverse it because the first time uh, Mina welcomes Harker in, but it's Harker's like you know Dracula wearing his skin, which is creepy. Yeah. And then the second time they just assume some kids actually Dracula and he leaves and then like Dracula just shows up suddenly it's like oh you guys should have believed that kid you know like um so I like that they flipped it a couple times um, yeah and I actually liked a lot of the characters that are on the boat as well yeah uh, the cook who had lost his hand which is funny because the episode like starts off with him like joking around with the captain about how you know he's not upset that he lost his hand and he can stir soup easier yeah <laughs> and then how he kept like just giving shit to the the new guy, yeah, uh, Pitor or whatever. Like the guy that was, uh, I like that he saw that his he saw an opportunity to get away because yeah. the other guy was actually dead because he got killed by Dracula. And then he's like, "Well, I'm going to be this guy and go on the ship." I thought that was okay. I like the notion that like Dracula created the fog so he'd like, function in the daytime. Like there was some. Interesting ideas. The idea that he was also trying to be like the lead investigator for all these murders, <laughs> yeah. like that was fun too. Um, so there was there was good stuff in there, and I and I appreciated that. Um, and then the notion that like you also find out in that episode that um, that Agatha, you know, she's dying. Yeah, and she does like you talk about Jeff Goldblum from The Fly. She's pulling fingernails off, and everyone's yeah. like, every you- every time I saw that, it just it gets me. I don't know what it is <laughs> about fingernails, but like. Ugh. I like that she tells the, like the captain. She's like, he's like, are you okay? She's like, no, I'm dying, but that's not important, right? Now. <laughs> it's like that's right, Agatha. Like, uh, so like all that, all that was it was fun. It's just I felt like there was some like overt cleverness going on. Like I just like the whole bit of her when she's tied to the post. She's like, I am a vampire. You burn me and find out or whatever. And then it's like, and then she's able to um, was it bite her lip to cause Dracula to freak out. Like yeah. that was okay, but it's just there was just. I don't know. Like I kept waiting for the other Moffat shoe to drop. And then in episode three is where a lot of it came up. Uh, Cause I, I went to post this on Facebook. Everyone's like, yeah, I liked episode one and two, three, not so much. I'm like, well, what's going on with three? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, to skip ahead, uh, episode. Oh, and two, they do, and they do. Yeah, like, skip, episode two ends with Agatha basically kind of going down with the ship and taking Dracula down. Yeah. Um, it's revealed earlier in the episode that he's got fifty different boxes of this native soil from Transylvania, which is one of the things that is another part of the, the Dracula legend. And it's, that he has and it's to in sleep. the book too. Yeah, yeah. It's not sleep, the fifty, but yeah, yeah. Uh, sleep in the soil of their homeland. Um, so she basically gets rid of all of them except one, so that they can kind of bring him out. Um, and with that. Um, she the, the, skipping a little bit further ahead. The boat gets destroyed. Um, she thinks that he's destroyed with it, but he just ends up being in one of the, the that crate basically underwater. So how did you feel about the notion? She's like, well, I thought you were like you were on fire and jumped out. He's like, yeah, and then I just crawled up the other side of the boat. It's like, oh, <laughs> it's like it's a simple explanation. You're like, well, yeah. that makes sense. It's like. Did no one bother checking the other side of the boat? Apparently like, <laughs> not. It's like it's Shaun of the Dead where he says he gave him the slip. Yeah. <laughs> so he breaks out of the box uh, and then he ends up on shore in England where he sp- that, that was his destination. Then all of a sudden like cars and helicopters show up and it's like, oh shit, it's today and Dracula is now here. And it's like, oh, that's cool. I, I mean, 
we just got two episodes. Do we need to go here yet? Like, I just feel like I would have loved to had not, I mean, I guess this wasn't their intent, but how would you have felt like maybe like two or like, like two or three seasons of like this Dracula. And then you get to the reveal of like, Oh, he's going to end up in 2020. Like that would have been way more fun. I think you would have had more opportunity to explore him as a character, but he's here and they, and they know how to write a cliffhanger, you know? So he's on the shore, there's cops, there's the helicopters or whatever. Um, so now we got to deal with Dracula and today and I'm like, okay, this could be interesting. And then I just feel like it's like, no, 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 no. We're going to tell you eight other stories. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the problem is, is that, uh, they introduce some new characters. They also feel like they need to now explain why a version of, of a character who looks like Agatha (laughs) exists in this uh, current day. They need to explain why there's a Jonathan Harker foundation. They need to explain um, why he, wh- how he's been set up to be studied. There's a lot of things that they immediately need to explain when they didn't need to 20 minutes previously <laughs> in the past episode. Like they yeah. suddenly have just created a bunch of problems for themselves is basically what I mean. And, and so, and I know Steve's not watched Doctor Who, but this feels very Doctor Who in the sense of like, you have this character who's kind of removed from time that they're like, Oh, he was in like the late 1800s, sorry, late 1700s or the 1800s. Yeah. 1800s. It's like, now we're bringing him hundred years in the future. It's like, Oh, so this is an immortal that has to kind of get himself acclimated to the current time. If only there was a magic blue box he could fly around in too. It just, it feels like this is like, this is a time Lord, but he just sucks people's blood. <laughs> like right. I got that kind of vibe. And then, but you're right. They, they always come up with like, like he always would write all these like fringe things of like, and then this is going on and this is going on. It's like doctor who it works because you're constantly going to different planets and different times. So you have to kind of set a lot of that up. Um, the notion that in the 21st century, we'd be ready for Dracula and would put him in a box is kind of interesting. Yeah. It's a very Hannibal Lecter type of thing to do. And it was, and I, I kind of wish they would have like, again, this feels like, I don't know if the, the three, the two guys involved only thought they had three episodes or this is the story they wanted to tell. I don't know. And I also know the BBC can also be like, we're going to give you three episodes or 30 years. We don't know. Like the BBC is very like, you know, guess we're done now or we're not done forever. Um, So I don't know if they knew they only had this window, but it feels like they, I don't know. It just feels like they wanted, I feel like the episode three is a story they really wanted to tell. I feel like they, which is unfortunate because the first two are much better. (laughs) But after watching all three and knowing where it goes, does it not feel like, I mean, it feels like they really wanted to do the third story a lot. And then setting up the Agatha Dracula showdown was great, but I feel like they were just like, no, 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 we got to get, which is weird because the boat episode is great by itself, but it feels like they were just trying to get like, can we get him to 2020? Which is unfortunate too, because they've built up Agatha as a, a wonderful, you know, foil, foil for him. Um, and even though it's played by the same actress, unfortunately, the um, great grandniece of Agatha's is not as good. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's still the same actress, but she's playing a different character, and at least she's aware of that, so she's not doing the same thing yeah. over and over. I, I like that but, she was she's capable in a Nick Fury kind of way, in the sense of like, I know you're this like you know immortal monster. I also know how to get to you. Yeah, like, but I. I 
I found her far less in, in, yeah. interesting than her ancestor, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Because he ends up in a house, which, again, was funny because he ends up just in a house and he's like talking to the, the wife. That's actually a great scene. Yeah, it is a great scene, but it's like he's eating the husband, stuffed him into like a, like a mini fridge. Or whatever, yeah. <laughs> like tied it shut, and he's just sitting there watching TV. Like, like that's that's very reminiscent of um, Interview with the Vampire because uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character, no, it was Brad Pitt, or, yeah, yeah, Lewis. He ends up in the theater watching the sunrise, and he's like, he is like blown away because he actually gets to see the sun again, and it's like that felt very reminiscent of that. But there's the bit of him just like fascinated with the TV, and then she, he's talking to the to the wife, and he's like. You have all these things. Why would you ever go outside? That was great. Him, like, you know, it was like, oh, you must have a lot of money. She's like, no, we don't. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, you know, they're, you know, the time I come from, you know, people would give up everything that they had to have what you have. Yeah. And then once, once, um, you know, uh, the modern Helsing uh, figures out where he's at, I like the notion of where they throw the box in. It's like, get in the box. He's like, I don't want to get in the box. And they start breaking down the house. Yeah. I thought that was awesome because it's like, he's like, shit, I better get in the box. It's like, that was cool. It's like, mm-hmm. I know who you are. I know where you are. We're going to keep giving more and more daylight to get in the box. I thought that was awesome. Like, uh, it's just. Yeah, I, I liked that trap. Um, I, I liked uh, when we see him back at the Institute and uh, we find out that he's figured out technology fairly, fairly quickly. <laughs> like, as much as it was a dumb joke, I liked it. It's like, who gave him Wi-Fi? He's like, it was my, the password was my name. And, <laughs> and there's that pause of just like, shit. <laughs> like, I thought that was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, but from there, we then move on to introducing another new character in the character of Lucy. Yeah. Um, who unfortunately just isn't as strong character wise as the rest and it's not the actress's fault it's just that she's not given anything interesting to do except for be young and pretty and 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 even um the other the other doctor sorry the junior doctor uh, whatever seward seward yeah uh it's like yeah it's like great you're pining after somebody cool and i was really (laughs) talking about uh things that you know came from the adaptation that they they at first i just i'm like well they turned harker into renfield that's an interesting choice but what happens to renfield then episode three we we meet the new renfield basically which i just found this out that's played by mark gaddis yeah (laughs) but i was i love he i loved his character it was just so great how at first like this is terrifying to I'm now servant of Dracula. I, I like that a lot. I liked that, but I I didn't like the fact that he was. Oh, he's a lawyer. Womp womp. Like, so there was a thing earlier when Harker was writing out his like account of what happened, and there's the twist of he just kept writing like Dracula's Lord, and I thought that was actually cool. Where it's like he thought he was telling everything, but he was just writing the same thing over and over again. And then the callback later, whenever he got Redfield in the car doing the crossword puzzle, and every answer was like, Dracula is my God, or whatever. It's like, that's funny, because it shows yeah. how far gone he is, and how he's like, oh, that's the answer. Like, I thought yeah. that was great. And how disheveled, like, like his like his shirt cuffs, like, cufflinks are just, like, undone, and he's just becoming a mess. Like, again, like, if you would have taken that over time, that would have been fascinating. Yeah. But it was so fast. Like, yeah. Yeah, because they had an hour and a half to establish him in 2020, how he's going to learn, or not even how he's going to learn, how he's going to acclimate to this new 
time and, frame. And there was the toss away thing of him. Uh, you had uh, Dracula on an exercise bike, and he's like, I have to work out now because, yeah. because <laughs> everybody, every, everybody, everything's so easy and soft now. It's like he's not getting the notion yeah. that he's in a sea of people and still kind of starving is fascinating. And yeah. it's like they don't do anything with it other than you find out that Lucy's kind of like this different flavor because she doesn't, she's not afraid and doesn't care. Yeah. So. That's interesting, I guess. But when, again, this feels very Doctor Who of like, we have an episode. We're introducing all these characters that are not going to go past this episode. That's what it felt like. This felt like an episode of Dracula, not the third episode of a limited series of Dracula. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think also, you know, with the uh, Agatha, because I don't know, I, we'll just say the Van Helsing of the modern day. Her, her name was Dr. Zoe Van Helsing. So Zoe Van Zoe, Hel- yeah. Okay. Um, they also build something into her character that is she's sick and has cancer. Um, and her blood is poisonous to Dracula because when he does break in, or, or when he is in that house and they start breaking down the walls, uh, to try and drive him out or to get him in the box, uh, she goes in after him, and he tries to drink her blood, and then he immediately throws it up simply because her her blood is poisoned to him because yeah. he's got cancer in it. Um, which I was like, oh, this will be interesting to see where they're going to go with it. And then he gives her him he gives her his blood. Yeah, because she wanted a sample to study him, and then it's like I also did like the notion that like. She was trying to use like a needle and it wouldn't work. So he's like, yeah. no, no, I'll just use my coke, uh, my cocaine finger, my my pinky, and just stab my wrist and give you a sample. And it's like, I thought that was going to go somewhere. I mean, yeah. it did, but it's like she then drinks the blood herself, which I'm like, why didn't you have it analyzed? Yeah, it's like you're supposed to be the scientist studying all this stuff. And that's the first thing you do is drink the blood. And it's like, oh, okay, she's going to become a vampire. It's like, that's no. That didn't happen. Like, <laughs> That's what and, I assumed was going to happen. And, and I'm okay with that convention switch, I guess, a little bit. But And then the notion that she's starting to see Agatha. And Agatha's like, yeah, blood is lives. And we're now connected. It's like, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Would have been wonderful to explore had we had more episodes. Because I, I would have loved to have seen uh, the Agatha and Zoe partnership of them. Again, set this in the modern day having an ongoing series where they're trying to deal with Dracula, but man, how great would that have been if there had been like a, a little bit longer story of like case of the week stuff. Mm-hmm. That would have been great. Cause I love the interplay between herself. I had actually hoped that Agatha had somehow survived and because she was undead through technology was able to sustain and like have a normal function functioning life. I had hoped that like it was going to be a reveal that she was actually Agatha, who'd just been around for an extra hundred yeah, years, like, waiting for him to come back to prepare, Because they set know, up the notion of volunteering donors yeah. with all this. It's like, yeah, that would have been kind of cool. But So I, I, I was kind of disappointed when it was just her ancestor, although to be fair, in, you know, Dracula in 1972 AD, yeah, yeah, it's Dracula in 1972 AD, um, you know, they do the same thing in the Hammer films where suddenly Peter Cushing is his own ancestor, you know what I mean? So it's like... I am my own grandfather. There's yeah. precedent for it, but I just, you know, I wish I, I wish that uh, they wouldn't have gone that route because, unfortunately, the, the 2020 version of her is not as interesting as the previous. Yeah, so let's just get to, like, so the whole thing, Agatha keeps formulating this question of, like, why do the things I know about Dracula, they, they almost point towards something. 
mm-hmm. like one individual thing, which I think is kind of flawed. I, I honestly think that thinking's flawed. Where it's like, why do crosses affect him? Why does sunlight affect him? Why can't he be invited in? Those are the three things. Sorry, why can't he enter a dwelling without being invited in? You know, like he has to be invited. And those are the three things she focuses on. It's like these all have to have a root cause, and like she gives an answer, and it's like it's it's not it's not a good one. No. <laughs> and again, I keep I'm going to keep uh, shooting on Moffat here. This feels like a Doctor Who answer of like because there's always the creature of the week, and then the Doctor's always like, "Well, here's the real answer: love." And it's always like something. <laughs> Like, and he always comes up with like this clever, like he'll always give himself a locked room to work out of. And it's always this weird, like, yeah, but what about the, the, the wedges between the door and the hinges? That's the answer. Like something weird like that. Like, like, um, to, to back it up a little bit with the original doctor who canon, uh, supposedly a time Lord could have 13 regenerations. Right. So when they did this series in the sixties, they're like, when the original actor was like in ill health, they're like, Oh, we'll have him regenerate. We'll see there's 13. Fine. And they're like, we'll never get there. And then they get to, uh, you know, um, uh, freaking, I just lost his name again, Matt Smith. He's number 12. It's like, well, shit, what are we going to do? Like, you know, with this, like, how do we go to third? Cause we get to 13, we're done. And then Moffat came up with this way that found like this crack in the universe. And somehow like, we don't know how many regenerations the doctor's going to have. It's like, Way to go, BBC. You could just keep casting forever, which is fine. I don't care. But it's like you had to come up with this convoluted answer as to why he keeps regenerating. It's like mm. so Moffat always tries to find these like weird ways out and uh, to show how clever he is. And when you have Agatha say, I figured it out. And by showing um, Dracula, by pulling this curtain down, which, by the way, if you're a Dracula and you are afraid of the sunlight, why would you have a floor to ceiling window that's like three stories tall with like not the thickest of curtains on it. Why would you have that? Especially whenever it shows you looking out at nighttime in the city and you see your true reflection, pretty sure you'd want to have a place that doesn't have windows at all. Yeah. I don't know. Buy a TV. Like you can look you know, like you can right. watch, this. but she pulls this curtain down, shows the sunlight. And he's like, ah, it burns, whatever. And then like a minute later, <laughs> I just like, like, ah, no, ah. And then like a minute later, he's like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not dying. She's like, no, I know your secret. It's like, you think he would have had that accident of like, like sleeping in one day and not like covering the curtain and be like, Oh, I didn't burst into flames. I was itchy. You know, like you think, no, it's because somehow he's from this, this bloodline of like warriors and Kings that have all died in battle. But he, he was, he, he was like afraid of battle or something. And it's like, and because he was never given honorable death, he doesn't feel worthy of death. So he's, he's afraid of death. Okay. Yeah. I don't understand why it buys back on the mythology. Like it just, it doesn't, it just wipes it all out because then like, cause he even says when people are flashing the crosses, he's like, you don't know why that works. It's like, then you know why it works. Yeah. So when she drops this big reveal, he's just like, what? Like, he's like, it never occurred to me like that. I could just walk outside and realize that I don't have to feel shame. Like I could just feel bad because if shame makes you afraid of the sunlight, none of us would ever go in the sunlight. Like, let's be honest, you know, like I would, I would burn to a crisp, you know, like, so I just, that felt like that clever way. And then it's like, so then if sunlight doesn't affect him, if crosses don't affect him, like, and, and he can just kind of come and go as he pleases, then there's nothing to Dracula. Yeah. 
Other than the drinking of the blood. Yeah, well, yeah, right? And it's like, so then so then Agatha's dying suddenly there because it's required that she dies that night right in front of him or that morning. And he goes to drink her blood, which is poison. But then it shows them together. And she's he's like, do you think I'd let you go alone or whatever? And it's like, and then it shows like them together on this bed in the sun or something, you know, yeah. very like poetic, beautiful thing. And it's like, and that's your series. It's like, okay. I'm sure if they want to be like, no, 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 there's more Dracula. It'd be him like waking up and be like, that was weird. And then moving on. It's like, but you've given him no, no weaknesses other than human connection, which is a, fine. You can still explore that, but it's like, oh, so now if you do Dracula season two, it's like, what's spring break? Like, where's he going to go? Like, you know, like <laughs> I, I just, yeah, it's unfortunate. Cause I understand that they wanted to give some sort of an ending. Um, I just didn't like the fact that they're like, well, let's throw half of the mythology just to get to this ending. They could have still had her, like, here's two things. Here's a thought. Here's my Colin Trevorrow version of this. Uh, uh, one, she whispers in his ear what she thinks his weakness is, and then she passes away, and we don't know. But yeah. he's shocked. Cool. Would have pissed off people, but it had been like, she finally figured me out. No one could know about this. And, what it, and then he could even be with her as she passes away to give her like a gentle death and not make her undead. Because he realized that the worst thing he could do for her is to make her undead. Right. That would have been fine. I think that would have actually redeemed his character a little bit. Two, she tells him all this, and even though he's standing in the sunlight, he rejects what she says and still is actively living the way he is because he he sees himself as this, and he can't admit to himself that this is the reality. So you still give him the limitation. Like, but no, we're just going to have him be like, oh, this is the first time I've been in the sun. Guess I'll drink cancer blood. Guess we're dead now. Like, what happened? What happened there? <laughs> it very much felt like uh, a time, like time was just running out in the, the episode. And they're like, we got to write an ending. And Poochie went back to his home planet. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, done. We're done here. And it's, just, it's just frustrating because never... It's been rare for me to watch something that's so self-contained as this for like, obviously you want more of something that you like, but I'm like, I feel like, I feel like I'm like, there's three seasons of this somewhere that existed that we're only seeing like, like the, the South American, like cut down versions that are put out in theaters. Like, you know, when they jammed together all the RoboCop TV episodes and made them in the movies, it's like, <laughs> there's something else here. And at the end he felt like. And I keep going back to this, and I know you don't have point of reference. He felt like a Doctor Who villain, where it's like, oh, like because they would do this thing too, where they go through time and they meet different historical figures, and it's like, yeah, what if we met Dracula, but he was insecure? Like that <laughs> would be, he'd be like, you'd have him be like, the Doctor be like, I know your weakness, and it'd be like, and tell him that, and that would utterly destroy Dracula because like, you know what? You figured me out in the feels. I'm gonna burst into bats now. I'm done. That'd be the end of your episode. Like this is, this is all. It just feels like I feel like Moffat always has his heart in the right place and wants to show like, even with monsters, they're, you know, they're human in a sense. Right. Uh, and that Dracula can have weakness. Uh, but he, I just feel like he has to be too clever for his own good to be like, Oh, I know about the history, but what about this? I think also it's unfortunate because we never really see, um, the repercussions of a vampire being staked except for 10 minutes prior. Yeah. Um, because Harker, we didn't actually see what happens to him. He stabs himself, but then we find out, oh, you can't kill yourself when you're yeah. the undead. Okay, fine. And we didn't see what happened with, um, there was the doctor in the second episode that saw an undead. Yeah. We don't know what, like, that was teased that there was something to be revealed there, like a dark secret other than he saw an animated body 
And that was it. Yeah. Um, also, how did you feel about the, 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 the kind of like tossed away death of his deaf mute daughter? She's like, I'm a poison myself out. It's yeah. like, like <laughs> what? what was that? It's like, Oh, okay. You didn't want her to actually to be turned into the undead. That's a fair sacrifice. Oh, she just killed herself. How dare you Dracula? Like, <laughs> right. That was weird. <laughs> it's just whatever. And then we didn't even talk about the notion in the first episode. I'm, I will get back to the end in a second that it was a strong idea. It didn't go anywhere. It was the brides of Dracula with the yeah. boxes and how a baby Dracula. Well, but it's that like too, baby Yoda. Th- that was, yeah, wait, it's <laughs> cuter though. No, but the notion that the person that reached out to Harker wrote, help us. And it's like, Oh, there's, it's like to find out that it, she just wants to feed more. It's like, she could have walked in the room and had him that time that, 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 that whatever. But the notion that Dracula was leaving a baby for her to drink. And if we know that blood is lives, that was leaving her kind of docile. That was never, that was never stated. Right. But that's my thought. That's dark. Like other than killing a baby, that's just way darker. Like, like, let me go on record. Baby shouldn't be dead. Like, that's not, you know, no, but you're going to give them as like a high C fruit, like, like juice box. And that's her only sustenance is a newborn that doesn't know anything. And you're going to keep her like dumb and stupid in a box. That's a dark idea that they it didn't, is. they didn't go into. Yeah. You know, it's like maybe five minutes worth of a scene and yeah. then you're out of it. Yeah. So anyway, let's, let's get back to the end where it's like, Oh, Dracula, whatever. Like what? I feel like it almost feels like it's a waste of performance because the actor that plays Dracula is awesome. And he has some really good lines and some like just, I, some of his, like you said, some of his reactions and line deliveries are amazing. And whoever this guy is, like I'm sure he's probably like established either not in like BBC programming, but somewhere because I don't think this guy came out of nowhere, but he needs something else because he was awesome. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, you know my, my knowledge of BBC shows or shows that are produced over there are is very limited. Um, outside of you know spaced, um, probably some of the original Office and. Um, Downton Abbey, uh, which my wife loved. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about what's produced over there, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a lot of series with these these actors running around, and you're like, oh, you know, he's like the uh, um, you know, the British version of uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a popular TV actor right now well he's actually um, danish which is also amazing because oh, okay. it starts off with him with that accent because of dracula and then he like same thing like it's not well not the same but like david Tennant's scottish okay and then you wouldn't know it when he's playing the doctor because the doctor's english because he's like the doctor can't be scottish and then you end up getting you know um the next guy who's playing him as scottish but whatever anyway like so two guys down <laughs> two guys later uh but it's like you, you have these actors that like you i would not know that he's danish like mm-hmm. he but he needs to be like a Bond villain or something. Like this guy, just my God, he was great. Like, yeah, yeah. So I need more of him. Like, yeah. Um, I just want to go back to my earlier yes, point real quick, um, because Lucy has been turned in the undead. Uh, they go to burn her body. Um, she gets out of the uh, the actual. Uh, I don't know what you call it. An oven, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Um, and is unaware that she looks like a burnt toast. Um, but uh, she is killed by uh, Jonathan Seward. And again, it's a very classical. A- a- after 
she is told because she sees in her reflection how pretty she is because yeah. this whole notion of like you see what you believe or whatever, right? Like I don't know, whatever. She the only way she could realize who what she is is because of a selfie. Yeah, that's that felt very Doctor Who. <laughs> it felt very twenty twenty. But also, I thought you know just the fact that we establish we see another piece of established you know vampire lore. 10 minutes before the reel that reveal that like, Oh, they can go in the sun and Oh, he's just afraid of or ashamed of it. And, um, you know, all these things that are his weaknesses aren't really weaknesses. Uh, it just, it didn't, it didn't help its case. We'll put no, it that way. It's like, Oh, oh, all oh, that's not true. But getting touched by a wooden point by someone that cares about you just turns you into ash. Like yeah. what? Yeah. So, so yeah. Anyway, um, there's there's just a lot of good opportunity here, and it's and I'm sure like I said Moffat and Company Moffat and Gaddis could probably like they they if they're going to do another series of Drac either they can go back before and go and do things or they'll find some convenient way to be like oh no that was just him like making sure that you know uh, Agatha was on her way out well or whatever and now he's back you know he's Dracula you know um they could find they could find a, a, a wibbly wobbly timey wimey way of bringing him back um, yeah. which i'll forgive it if we get more of that actor and you actually show me dracula operating in this current day and age cuz i feel like that that could be with this iteration of dracula there could be some fun to be had there and and kind of scrap the jonathan harker foundation stuff cuz i feel like that was like I don't know. That feels very Hellboy to me, like BPRD type of thing where it's like, but like, like lesser, like more, you know, bureaucratic. <laughs> like, and like they introduced for the that, most part, fairly incompetent. Like they, they did nothing. They introduced that, that prison cell that's cool where it can actually have the sunlight show up and like, like that's cool. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you have a lawyer? All right. Well, I guess you can leave. Like, what? Like, that's just, <laughs> you know, like whatever. So it's just, man. Like, so when I say I have a love hate with, with Moffat, it's like, I, I love that he's not afraid to take things in different directions. I love some of the dialogue again. I, I don't know if that's Moffat or Gaddis, but it feels very Moffat-y. Um, but then there's just times where he gets a little, just a little too clever and it just pisses me off. But I don't know. I guess I don't know how to rein that in without getting the rest of the fun stuff. So Yeah, I could have done with much more uh, more episodes or time spent uh, before getting to 2020. Yeah, because like, what if you did two seasons and then the end of it would have been him in the, like now? You've been like, yeah. oh my gosh, like right. that would have been great, you know? But all right, yeah. So that's a uh, that's a uh, Netflix's BBC's or oh, whatever Dracula. Um, I don't know. Like it was. I'm glad we watched it. It was worthy of watching. Uh, it's 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 a pretty easy watch. Like it's less than six hours overall. People may be intimidated by the longer run times per episode, but it's really not that bad. Like for like a season of television, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we watched. So we went from talking about Batman to a Batman. So there you go. That's our our bat portion of the year. There'll be more bat stuff later. Lots yeah. of bats. Yeah. So all right. Uh, so recommended. Would you recommend it? Like. I'd say it's a worthy, you know, a worthy watch. I would, I would recommend it because I, I think there's enough in there to, to you know, unless you're somebody who's like, you know, going to be pissed at me because you're like that ending sucked. Well, I can't disagree with you there, but I would say that uh, if maybe stop at the first after after the first two. I don't know. Well, uh, at least knowing that it's episodes, like, you could at least be like, I'm going to watch the first two and like forget it. Like as opposed to what if this had been a movie with like, and that was like the halfway mark. You've been like, oh well, this is not worth it at all. Right. So at least the ship stuff's fun. 
and like just the the skulking around and how like that i love the cook like you mentioned like there's some fun characters there um but yeah all right and also a badass nun like who'd have thought like that's yeah, uh, that this iteration of Van Helsing, she needs to have her own movie of her just analytically thinking through everything. Yeah, <laughs> not, not fighting more monsters physically, just logically. I would love that. Yeah, so it's like, oh, you become a monster during the full moon. I guess I'll just wait two weeks. Like that whole thing. Like, you know. All right then. So yeah, that's that's our take on uh, Dracula. If you guys have your thoughts, feelings about it, please uh, let us know on our Facebook page. It's Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, you can email us at invadingpodcast@gmail.com. You can find us on Apple podcast uh podbean stitcher google music wherever you get your podcasts uh find us rate and review us tell your friends you know like hey i'm using my phone like my my magical device listen to two people talk you should too tell them because evidently everybody i'm around it's like they're like i don't know what a podcast is it's 2020 how do people not know (laughs) you know like so yeah uh please if you like the show let people know about it maybe they'll check it out too uh, but maybe if they're like, I love Dracula uh, episode three, maybe they're, they're not the ones to recommend, but maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so, and uh, and Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. And you can find copies of the issue number one on Etsy under the Art of the Slash. Perfect. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to, now we've just done talking about uh, vampires and blood. Let's just get to a game that's all about blood. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> Alright, I call this the blood test because it's ten questions about like various blood things from pop culture. Fair uh, enough. Bear with me. Um so, <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you, uh, you some of these are probably no, some of these are gonna be like what? So because trying to think of like questions about blood relating to pop culture gets a little weird. So all right. Yeah. Uh the quote, if it bleeds, we can kill it, is from what film? Predator. There you go. I figured you knew that. Uh, Nobody makes me bleed my own blood is from what film? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. I'm blanking. <laughs> uh, ben Stiller. Oh, is it Dodgeball? It's Dodgeball. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's the two movie quotes I have here. So um, what was used in place of blood in the shower scene in Psycho? Chocolate syrup. There you go. Uh, what test did McCready do in the thing to see who the thing was? I, I mean, it's a blood test with a, 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 a petri dish and uh, fire, but I don't know what the name of it is. Well, it's not an actual test. I mean, not a name, but like, you know, so he used the, the flamethrower to heat the wire to test mm-hmm. the blood. And so you're right. So, all right. <clears throat> that, you know, the, simple question. Okay. I thought there was like a name. No, 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 no. Um, it was the McGovney you know, yeah, maneuver. Yeah, yeah. The McCready maneuver <laughs> where you wear a weird hat pour some liquor into a chess computer and then uh burn things with a wire and then you just you know you you lock first the first step is lock wilford brimley, brimley up in a cabin by himself that's the first step of the mccready method uh what color blood do vulcans have green there okay vividly it's copper that's in their blood that's what gives them the green thing but people have asked questions like well then why don't like when when like spock gets a bruise why is it like not green as opposed to black and blue it's like oh yeah 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 Oops. um how many pints of blood did Al Bundy donate in order to raise money to bet on his daughter's pool hustle in the season six episode of Married with Children, Cheese, Hughes, and Blood? Seven? Nine. Nine. Because oh. he comes into the bar and he's talking to Steve 
and he has like this, these little cotton balls all over his arms, and they're like, he's like, oh, I was going around all the different blood banks selling blood. He's like, you know, I hit nine blood banks. And Steve's like, Al, the human body only has eight pints of blood. <laughs> he's like, the brain hides some. So it's like such a dumb episode, but I love it because he's sitting there watching Kelly play pool, and he has no blood in his body, and he's just like out of his mind. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Um, the Heart Attack Grill in Las Vegas. This this goes a little ways. So bear right. with me here. Has burgers that are named the single, double, and triple, and quadruple up to the octuple bypass. Um, and just I, I found out what the quadruple bypass is. It has nine thousand nine hundred eighty-two calories. It consists of four. Uh, half pound beef patties, 20 strips of bacon, eight slices of American cheese, a whole tomato, I guess to balance it out and half an onion served in a bun coated with lard. Okay. That's Wait, the, what is that's the, the bun qu- coated with lard for God's sake? Cause Tartac grill. Um, here's my tie in cause I was struggling as these will certainly destroy your blood and your body, which is, you know, the, the, so that's bad. The restaurant has a deal. Uh, if you weigh a certain amount and up, you eat for free. What is that um, that target weight? Three hundred and fifty pounds. That's correct. Wow. Yeah, it actually says on the outside, uh, people three fifty and up eat for free, and it's like, um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's I'm overweight. I would not eat there. I do not <laughs> like. I just it, it just pisses me off because it's like there's this like weird glorification of this and then you read these stories of like their various spokespeople like dying at an early age because they'd eat there all the time it's like yeah no shit you know right so yeah all right <laughs> um if norman osborne was a hemophiliac what would be his alter ego what would it be it called um hemoglobin <laughs> the, the, Hemo, the, the hemoglobin yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was my dumb. That might. That's not trivia at all. I just want to ask that question. <laughs> but we know he actually wasn't the hobgoblin. But I just, I just knew. Like, but people know it weren't Norman Osborn. So yeah, he'd be the hemogoblin. Um, you know, he would not last long in a fight. I don't think because he wouldn't clot. Um, God, <laughs> that's a dumb joke. Uh, in Friday Thirteenth Part Seven, New New Blood, what was the total body count? Just you know. Oh jeez. Um. I'm gonna say nine. Sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah, it's I that's what that's what IMDB says. I didn't go back to the I'm count. sure that's correct. I yeah. just you know, it's it's hard to like piece together how many, you know. And I'm sure there was like some ancillary just deaths that just happened because it's Jason, you know. So <laughs> um I need to go back and watch that one. I've not watched that in forever, actually. So but I have that wonderful Blu-ray set, so there's nothing stopping me from watching it. All right, last question. Which of these is not a real Rive Liefeld Extreme Comics book to come after the success of Youngblood? Right. So we'll give you four. One of these is not real. Okay. Youngblood Strike File, Blood Strike, Blood Force, or Blood Pool? Blood Force. Yeah, that's the one that's not real. I just, I really, really thought like you, like, like Blood Strike and Blood Pool. Yeah. Like really, Rob? Like, yeah, I guess you have a thing for blood. Okay, so well, I mean, you know, the blood pool too, being that he created Deadpool. Just well, seems- yeah, but it just feels like that felt like too close to being real, and it was real. And then Blood Strike, like, ugh, you know. So anyway, yeah, you picked up Blood Force, which I thought that would be a hard one, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there you go. You passed the blood test. I don't know what that means, um, but congratulations. So that's that's my blood questions I have there. So yeah, um, that's it for the episode. 
And by that's it, I mean, you know, over two hours again. That's what we do here. Next week, we're um, going to be changing it up a little bit because <laughs> uh, I wanted to, like, I just wanted to, like, feel better about life. I not that I'm saying Dracula made me feel bad. It didn't. We're going to watch, um, we're going to watch the Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, which is the Mr. Rogers documentary. I know it's been out for a while, but with A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, like, you know, that being, like, not the film version of the documentary, but a filmic version of Mr. Rogers' life. Um, I've not seen that, but I know like there was some awards talk about it. Let's, let's just watch the Mr. Rogers documentary and talk about how he's a nice you guy. You need now. a rhyme or reason for the reason no, we pick things. I just, you know, sometimes it needs to be timely. This isn't necessarily timely, but I just, I want to watch a good person doing good things and talking about it. Cause I feel like there's a lot of times where we can just be like, Oh, that sucks. I don't think there's a secret part of the documentary where it's like, yeah, he beat his wife. I don't think there's in the, I don't think that's in a, you know, <laughs> no, no, I could, I could testify that that does not occur. And like and Mr. McFeely just watches like the entire time or Mr. McFeely. What's his name? Anyway, anyway, the postman just watches while Mr. Rogers meets his wife. No, that's not true at all. Uh, but we're going to watch a documentary and talk about that. And then, the week after that, um, we we uh, changed gears without you guys knowing. Our year of is going to be year of animation because we want to do something a little different, and there's a lot of different animated things to watch. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to end up watching uh, 1977's Wizards, the Ralph Bakshi uh, cluster mug of a movie that we saw the trailer for. This is going to be interesting. I've never seen it. Steve has never seen it. Um, yeah, so we're going to watch that. So I just want to give you guys a heads up. That's what's going to be in two weeks. So anyway, uh, next week, Mr. Rogers. So we went from Batman to Dracula to Mr. Rogers to whatever Wizards is. <laughs> Interesting month. 2020 is a weird year. <laughs> All right. So yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have a safe week. Um, I don't know. I'd say I was going to say something vampire specific, but I don't know. I don't, I don't get anything good. Um, Hope you didn't think the show sucked. <laughs>